the introduction. Um, on some of the different platforms, it did have a 30-second delay, so it started it about 30 seconds later than we actually went live. Uh, so give me about five more seconds, and we'll get rolling here. All right, for those of you who are tuning in right now, welcome to Talking Christianity Apologetics. My name is Josh Gibbs. I am the host, and tonight is going to be kind of a fun night. We're answering the question, does God exist? And the way that we are going to answer that is structured through the thesis of the Kalam Cosmological Argument. If you think that that sounds crazy, you've never heard of it before, don't get overwhelmed. We're going to explain it. Uh, but we're talking with uh, Randy Krakowski, and uh, he is a, a self-proclaimed agnostic atheist. We're going to get into kind of what that means um, as we get going, but stay with us, and we'll be right back. Make sure today that you leave this place knowing that you are saved to the glory of God, to what the scriptures teach. I think the Bible salvation of all men. The salvation of all men. And therefore, anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected his provision for them, and they are justly punished for their sins. question that seeks to provide an answer to this question, for whose sins did Jesus die? The extent of the atonement asks the question, for whose sins did Jesus die? There are only two answers, two possible answers to that question. Either Jesus died for the sins of some people, or Jesus died for the sins of all people. Alright again, welcome to Talking Christianity Apologetics. Before we get into the introduction with myself and and uh, introducing our, our guest, Randy Krakowski, tonight. I do want to go through a few announcements. First of all, I want to let you guys know that we are listener-supported. You can go to my podcast website. You can become a monthly donor. Uh, or if you want to, you can just submit a donation at any time for any amount that you want. That is going to be anchor.fm uh, forward slash Joshua-Gibbs, the number three. Or you can just go to anchor.fm and type in Talking Christianity. You'll find my page, and you can click the support link there. Also, you can go to, right now, uh, the same exact website that we just talked about, anchor.fm. Type in Talking Christianity. And if you think of a question before the debate gets going, or you think of a question as the debate is going, uh, there's a, a little button on there that says that you can leave a voicemail. Click that, and it'll allow you to leave your voicemail with your question. If you want to do that, just leave your name and leave your question. That's all that I need. And once we finish the debate here tonight, uh, those will be the first priority before we get into some of the different Facebook questions that other people have asked, whether it's in atheist groups or whether it's in Christian groups. Uh, and we'll go from there. So um, once again, it, it doesn't have to be right now. It could be during the debate. Uh, but this is a brand new feature. I think it's really cool. We haven't actually used this yet, um, and I think tonight would be a, a good a good time to do it if you want to be a part of it. So this Saturday, by the way, we're going to have a conversation with myself, and you may have heard of him, uh, Evan Minton. He's from the Cere Cerebral Faith Podcast. He's also a blogger and, he, and an author. He spends a lot of time in this particular area of the debate world and uh, and 
and uh, what he has done in his research is basically the different arguments for God, the cosmological argument, is something that he spent a lot of time on. Uh, so it'll be a good time. I encourage you to go over, check out some of the stuff that he's done on the subject. That would be the Cerebral Faith, uh, Cerebral Faith Podcast. So it's going to be a good conversation. Stay tuned for more information on this. All right, next, I want to tell you guys, I did engage uh, with a lot of a few different atheist Facebook groups over the last week on this topic. And if you are an atheist or you know an atheist who's interested in a debate or a dialogue with myself on the on the subject, you can text me, call me. My number is 816-282-4031. Or you can email me at gibbsj, as in my last name, first initial 1086 at gmail.com. All right. Uh, as always, please like, share, and subscribe and help support this podcast so we can get the word out to those whom th- this message would benefit. So at Talking Christianity, we obviously are striving to engage with the social online community uh, in, in actually dialoguing via um, a, a visual experience and you know kind of one-on-one or uh, group, uh, group dialogue in ways that you can't really do in a, in a chat room or in a Facebook group or something like that. So um, that's really what we're trying to do. It's, it's for um, reaching non-believers to bl- bring non-believers to Christ, and it's for believers to bring believers uh, closer and further in your walk with Christ. So now that I've said all that, we're going to introduce our guest, Randy Krakowski. Let me get the camera over to you. Randy, thank you again for coming on tonight. It's really a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, so uh, before... Give me the uh, inaugural atheist. I'm sorry, what was that last part? No, so I'm happy to be the inaugural atheist. I'm honored. Dude, that is... By the way, I, did, I don't know if I mentioned that. I've, I, I've never had a debate um, on my podcast yet, um, although I've, I've extended the invitation a few different times um, to different atheist communities, whether it's uh, on Facebook or Twitter, and I just didn't, I haven't had any takers yet, but... Um, it, this is going to be fun. It sounds like Randy, he, he's not one of the, those guys just from the, the conversations that you and I have had over the phone and that we've had online. It doesn't seem like you're, you're what I would call one of the it, kind of an antagonistic atheist that just kind of throws straw men arguments out there. I think that you, you may have some substance to what you're, you're presenting. And, uh, really to me, that's kind of why I'm looking forward to tonight. So, but before we get started, I do want to start with kind of who you are, how you came across my podcast, and uh, what led to our interaction tonight, and then discuss the different websites that you have and, and what you've started, um, one of them being um, lyingforjesus.org, um, and kind of why um, you you transitioned out of Christianity and, and left the faith um, altogether. Kind of just tell us that story. Where does it start for you? Yeah, it was actually some... I'm from Buffalo, New York, Western New York, and if you know anything about Western New York or the Northeast, it's largely Catholic. Um, it's probably like 80, 20. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say it nowadays. It's it's kind of uh, leveling off, but uh, when I was, you know, um, in the 80s and 90s, and that it was definitely 80, 20. And um, so I was raised Catholic, and as my earliest memories of a, of a child, even at like four years old, uh, sleeping on my aunt's house and um, you know, next to her bed and praying uh, to the crucifix and her showing me how to pray properly and, you know, the posture and everything. And um, I actually, I went to college in Pittsburgh and I moved to Laurel, Maryland. And Laurel, Maryland, I think, is the top of the Bible Belt, I, I'm pretty sure, um, right below that, that Mason-Dixie line. And um, 
I, I had like a 40 minute, I ended up working for a company called Bethesda Softworks. Any gamers out there probably heard of them. They're a, a big gaming company in Maryland. And uh, I had a 40 minute drive from Laurel to Rockville every day, at least 40 minutes. And I started listening to this, the radio, looking for music. And I came across like Charles Stanley and Hank Hanegraaff and Chuck Swindoll and all those. And it kind of piqued my interest because um, being, being raised Catholic, it, you it's kind of like more of a cultural thing, um, at least in the Northeast. But hearing like them defend Christianity, it kind of like sparked an interest. Like, wow, this stuff's actually like real and defensible. And so that was kind of the beginning. It was probably like 1996, 1997, where I started um, getting interested in, in apologetics. And actually, would say in '96, I converted from Christianity, evangelical Christianity. Um, so from 96 to probably 2015, I was a, a evangelical Christian and a, even an apologist. I would witness to people and defend the faith and study like crazy and all kinds of stuff. So, um, so I don't know if that's, um, but that, that's basically uh, where, where I started. And then, uh, and interestingly, so if I fast forward to 2015, um, I have a wife, I have three kids. And on my three boys, we've been going to church. Um, I was actually on the board of, of, a, of a Pentecostal church in Western New York. Um, and I, was, I was a Sunday school teacher for a couple different churches in Western New York. I won't name them, but uh, I actually um, was remodeling my house. I had water damage in the basement. We, we outgrow our house with soon to be three or should be five adults. My kids were become, becoming teenagers, and I was getting ready to, to uh, become to have, you know, growing our house, so I had a lot of work to do, so I'm listening to headphones, I'm, I'm tearing out drywall, fix, fixing water-damaged areas, and I had people come in to fix the cement, the leakage, and all that, and I, I had 40, 50, 60, 70 hours worth of work, so I'm listening to music, doing this work begrudgingly, and so you know what, my wife was, has never really been a believer, my middle son is, was kind of like an atheist, he basically just said he didn't buy any of that, he said the whole narrative 2,000 years ago, this guy lived a lives. It was kind of sketchy to him. And I am I was kind of offended. I'm like, listen, I'm your father. I'm smart. And you, you know, how dare you tell me that you're questioning this. So instead of listening to music for 40 to 70 hours, I said, you know what? What would the Lord have me do? I'm going to listen to every argument on the Internet I can find. This is 2015, so there's plenty of um, – I, I discovered Unbelievable, the podcast, and out of uh, UK, and uh, obviously – dozens and dozens of debates online on YouTube. So I wanted to hear the best possible arguments for um, atheism. So when my son and my wife raised objections, I was equipped right away, boom, I can answer them. And long story short, about nine months to 15 months later, I came out the other end um, a non-believer. I just, one thing after another just fell. I did the research and I, I searched, you know, what, about miracles. I think one of the last things to fall for me was miracles. I said, well, you know, but there's still stuff people can't explain. What about these miracles? And um, I won't get into that now. Maybe that'd be a, a, a topic for a different debate some other day, but that was like the last domino to kind of fall when I realized that um, some of the miracles or most of the miracles or there's, you know, really very little evidence for the supernatural and for miracles and that. And many of it, most of it can be explained. And James Randi Foundation had a million challenge for years for anything supernatural, paranormal, 
and no one even got past the preliminary tests for anything supernatural or miraculous. And that was like one of the last dominoes. So that's kind of the last 25 years in, in a three-minute rundown, I guess, if I had to. I don't know if I missed anything there, but. No, that's that's good. I mean, that gives us kind of a framework for kind of understanding where you're at, where you, where you came from. Um, that's interesting. There's so many things that I'd like to ask, like uh, what kind of podcast were you listening to that really um, really kind of made that swayed your decision? Because it sounds like that's kind of where it started. One was with your your son presenting his opinion about uh, the historicity and accuracy of what um, what the Bible was in, in reference to Jesus himself. But it seems like you know some of the podcasts that you were listening to may have may have had an impact as far as one the miracles uh, two some of the different arguments like what we're going to get into tonight with the cosmological argument. How did that kind of play a role? What, what were you listening to? So uh, unbelievable that uh, Justin Briley, premier podcast in the United Kingdom, unbelievable is a big one. They have like I think now 12, 13 years worth of catalog. If you just um, the podcast player ahead of time, you can just search their archive for uh, over a decade worth of, and the, the, the great thing about that was it had an expert, so it had an actual scientist, an actual, you know, a doctor, a physicist, a biologist, a, a geologist. It didn't have, you know, Joe Schmo off yeah. the street against a, a Christian or something. And that, that's one thing, when I listen to like Hanegraaff's podcast, or show and, and a lot of these other ones, David Jeremiah and that, Hanegraaff would have like a, a Christian biologist on, a Christian doctor, a Christian cosmologist, right. and, you know, a, and it was kind of like it was, everything was, it was very insulated. I didn't realize that, which I would look back now and I feel like I'm foolish after so many years of, it was so, so very insulated. All you heard was people endorsing endorsements and, you know, and all the guests that he would have on, he would never, so Unbelievable was the first podcast that I I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is going to go head to head. Like the best person in the field, like a Sean Carroll versus a William Lane Craig. They're both, you know, you know philosophers. Um, they both have a degree in philosophy. That's you know, just one example. Not not that William Lane Craig is a physicist by any stretch of imagination, but he was a he has a degree, a formal degree, and a terminal degree in philosophy. And Sean Carroll has a terminal or a terminal and formal degree in philosophy. So things like that. Uh, physicists would go against another physicist. You know, so that was, I thought that was a more of a level playing field than having a, a guest pediatrician or a guest uh, geologist who's a Christian on a Christian broadcast asking Christian questions. It's kind of like, okay, you're kind of, you know, loading the dice at that point. So, um, I mean, like I said, I listened to probably 40, 50 debates on YouTube. Yeah. Any debate that's ever been out there is probably on YouTube by now. And this was 2015, so it wasn't like it was decades ago. It was, you know, three and a half, four years. See, and, years ago now, but, um, but yeah, see, you and I are kind of similar there. I, I, I love listening to debates. I mean, I, that's, that's pretty much what I do during the day. Um, while I'm working, you and I did a little Skype call today and, uh, I mean, that's just kind of what it looks like for me. I would plug in a podcast and listen to a debate or something, but it, to me, I, it kind of had the, the opposite effect. It strengthened my faith in, in, in understanding why I believe what I believe, which I think that we'll be able to get in, into a little bit tonight. But one thing that I did want to try to pull out, you, you, had, you had told me earlier, I sent you a text, hey man, do you identify, what kind of an atheist do you identify as? Because a lot of, there's so much, there's so many different definitions, right? It's right. almost like you can, you, you can really decide um, what, what definition you're going to adopt. Um, as opposed to the classic definition, you told me that you're an agnostic atheist. So, 
Um, if you could kind of draw that out and explain to us what is an agnostic atheist in, in your in your eyes. Yep, so it's one who doesn't claim to have the, the knowledge or the belief. So atheism is a rejection of the proposition that a deity or deities exist. And um, uh, a belief is acceptance of the proposition that is true or likely true. So agnostic atheism, I don't claim to have the knowledge. I don't, there was never knowledge that was presented. I don't, I don't claim to know. And one could actually argue, there's actually a podcast called Everyone's Agnostic, and they make the argument premise of the podcast is everybody is agnostic nobody knows that you know that there's a god um you can feel him in your heart you can have a subjective experience you can um but nobody knows no one has you know met god you know face-to-face experience god uh no empirical evidence of a, of, a, of a deity so everybody's agnostic so i don't pretend i have that knowledge i've never met god or a god or a deity and um i don't i don't uh pretend to have the belief so that I don't, you know, I see. I don't, yeah. So you would draw the distinction that there's two parts to it. The agnostic is that you 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 don't know that there's not a god, but the atheist side is that you don't have the evidence that there is a god. Right. I don't know that there is or there's not a deity, and then you don't believe um, there is. Yeah, and I, I I'm not convinced of the the proposition that there is a deity. So you okay. So, yeah, that's how my mind would break it down is you don't know, but you're not convinced, so you don't believe there is. You, you cut out for a second there. Um, so in my mind, I would break it down. You don't know, you don't have the evidence, therefore you're not convinced, so you don't believe there is a God. Is that kind of, would that kind of sum, sum it up the best way possible? Or if you want to word it yeah, different. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so, so the, it's the neutral stance, um, and, I, and I, I have... You know, a myriad of, of analogies, but it's, it's a neutral stance. It's, I believe it's the default, default position. We can get into that later if you want, but um, it, it'd be the default position. So uh, the time to believe something is when there's sufficient evidence, not, not a minute before. Right. So that you know you, you don't believe someone's guilty before there's evidence that they're guilty. The, the default position is that they're innocent until, yeah. until such a time that, that the evidence warrants belief that the person's guilty. Sweet. So that's going to transition perfectly into what we're talking about tonight. I want to talk about really um, what it's going to look like. Uh, this is the text that I had sent Randy. I kind of revised it. We changed the first portion from 15 to 10 minutes or 15 to 20 minutes. But here's what it says. It says, hey, buddy. So here's what I'm thinking. Let's start out uh, telling your story first, what it looked like uh, when you had professed faith, faith how you got there, what led you out, and then let's talk about what we're doing now in the online spheres uh, dialogue against Christianity and why that's important in contrast to your atheism, which we didn't get into that a whole lot, but uh, you do have a website, which is lineforjesus.org. Um, if you wanted to, take a, a, take a minute and just explain what that website is and why it's important to you. Yeah, so um, what actually happened was when I, I, when I first decided, I actually remember the day that just, it, after like the last domino fell, the next morning I'm in the shower and how people laugh, a lot of people, you do your, some of your best thinking in the shower because you're isolated from distraction. And it just occurred to me, there's really nobody flying this plane. We're kind of on a rock in the middle of the universe, just, you know, so that hit me. So then I, I started talking to some, some of my pastors and um, I was actually good friends with a youth pastor. Um, I won't, I won't name him, obviously, but um, I said to him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm looking into this, and things just aren't adding up, you know, and 
all the books, Christian books I've read about this, they're, they're leaving out, um, you know, anything on biology or evolution. They're leaving out quotes. They're misquoting. They're omitting the important parts. They're omitting parts that actually um, turn. So Darwin is, is talking about how, for instance, how um, evolution, um, the eye seemed absurd, but also when the, when the proposition was that the earth went around the sun, the sun didn't go around the earth. When that was first proposed, that seemed absurd. That, that whole chunk about the sun was like left out of, of some of the quotes of some of the books I was reading. So there's a lot of these books where they're either twisting it, they're omitting it, they're leaving stuff out. And so one of my, my youth pastor friend was like, what are you saying? They're all lying? And I'm like, it's kind of interesting because what I've found so far, that yes, they are. They're, they're intentionally they're dishonest at best and they're flat out lying and omitting stuff at, at worst. So like I, I should probably look into this, and I heard stuff about David Jeremiah. He, I don't know if everyone is familiar with that. Um, RobbieWatch.com. He lied about all his credentials. He has no actual PhD or doctorate degrees. Um, and I said, had a graph book about evolution. He left stuff out. He omitted stuff. He changed stuff. He used old scientific data when he knew new scientific data was available. He, he pulled scientific data and research from the 1800s and early 1900s when stuff 50 years later than that's available. But he, he that out and quoted the old stuff in the 1800s. It's all on the website. Um, so just, I won't, I won't go through every, every apologist, but on the website you can see a banner of, I forget, seven or nine apologists, and every one did something very, very shady. And the worst part is that almost everyone on the website that I have is a millionaire, a literal millionaire. So not only are they promoting Christian propaganda, they're actually making millions of dollars off of it. So it, at first blush it seems like, oh my, you know, this... And my, my current, or the last pastor I had was like, it's pretty bold, you know, to not believe something is one thing, but to say someone's flat out lying is another. I said, have, I said, have you looked at the site? He said, well, no. <laughs> so you might want to go on and look. There's, you know, people ask in the, in the comments, well, how, you know, how can you, why should I believe you? Why, uh, who are your other contributors? And we can get into that, your other researchers. But I said, well, it's all self-evident. You can, Ravi Zacharias has never, taught at Oxford, yet he says he has. He's never attended Oxford. You can call Max Todd, the, the dean, his phone number is on my site, and you can ask him if his letter that's on my site is legit. It's, it's real, There's, you can verify everything. So that, that's it in a nutshell. But the, the genesis of lyingforjesus.org was my, my current pastor and my, um, my youth pastor friend saying, so what are you saying? All these people are just lying? They're all, all these Christian scientists, all these Christian doctors, all these Christian philosophers, they're just flat out lying. They're not telling the truth. They're hiding stuff. I said, actually, yes, from what I've seen, they are. And I would actually investigate. So it took me about 18 months to launch the site. I had some help from some friends from a, there's a local CFI. I don't know if you've heard of CFI, Center for Inquiry. The, the worldwide headquarters is here in Buffalo. I had some friends from our group help me with the research in that. And 18 months later, I launched the site. I want to say it was last year I launched the site. So that was the genesis of that was was the research and the and the challenge from my my youth pastor and and um, current pastor at the time. Of, you know, are they are they you're trying to say they're lying? Prove that they're lying. I said, okay, challenge accepted. No, um, that to me was really interesting when you had told me that. I went to the website and, and checked it out a little bit. Obviously, there's it, it would take a lot more time to kind of dive into that stuff and, and, and search yeah. it out yourself to kind of proof it and see. But to me, where I'm at right now, that just seems kind of like a conspiracy to me. I do like conspiracies, so it might be something that draws me in and I look into it at some point. 
but if you whether you're a Christian or, or an atheist or not, um, it, it's not one of those things that I'm like, hey, you know what, I'm a Christian, let me go promote uh, an atheist website. That's not it to me. Um, for me, it's more important to kind of test out what anybody's saying, whether you're an atheist or a Christian. Test it out, try it out, see what's true, see what's not true, and uh, don't just t- take someone's word for it, um, whether it's mine or whether it's Randy's or or, or anybody at all. So um, that's where I would I would be at it. But either way, I'd mentioned this to you earlier um, and, and just kind of asked you the question. Even if all of that stuff is true and, and a lot of these high-profile Christian authors and and whatnot, if their credentials are, are correct or they're not correct or they're they're different from what they're claiming they are, even if they're lying, um, I don't think that you're you're using that to say that uh, that debunks Christianity. So I'd give you a second to kind of just um, respond to that and say, you know, do you think that that in any way impacts the truth of what Christianity really is in the in the story from the Word of God? Well, I, I think you would, that's a it's a jumping off point the website, um, but what it, what it what they are doing is they're using their their status, their titles, and their audience to basically promote Christianity, to endorse it, to add to its validity. Um, and that, that's actually was one of the origins. I talked to the guy who, um, I think his name is Stephen, who runs RobbieWatch.org, and that was one of the, he's an atheist, I think he's called, I think, the band something, and um, he heard Robbie Zacharias, you know, talk, and that and he was kind of intrigued. He goes, "Wow, you know, maybe there's something to this Christianity. This guy sounds pretty smart. He's taught at Oxford. He's taught at, you know, all these prestigious. He has, he has more degrees than a thermometer. You know, wow." And he started looking into it, researching it. And he said, "You know, this isn't even true what he's saying." And he started, he started looking into his degrees. He contacted Oxford, and they're like, "No, he's never taught here. He's never attended here. He attended at a seminary down the road." Here, you know, so um, it. I guess to answer your original, it, it is like a jump, jumping off point because uh, people like Hanegraaff wrote an entire book called "The Face of Demonstration: The Parts of Evolution." He's telling Christians he's strengthening their faith, and he. I, I actually bought that. My son was in college. My my son, my my brother was in college. I actually bought the the book for him while he was in college. And now my, my brother's an environmental scientist in Florida right now, and um, I bought that book for him, saying, "Hey, you know." You're really not a believer. Or you're, you know, you're a loose Catholic. You know, there's something to this Christianity. This is real. You should, you know, have a relationship with, with God, with Jesus. And um, here's why. You know, you you think you know everything about science. The stuff that Darwin taught and the stuff that Darwin discovered isn't even true. And here's why. And I gave him the book. You know, so many years ago. And that. So it's there's a lot to it, but it it's definitely a jumping off point. They use their credentials to endorse Christianity, and they um, at the very least they strengthen believers. With their arguments that are fallacious and you know some at, at, at best fallacious at worst this flat out dishonest and yeah I, I believe their books you know um uh, darwin on trial philip johnson the, um ben stein came out with that movie and i my my parent my pastor at the, at the time gave me that that link to watch the movie he goes here you can log in and watch it on my amazon it's uh, ben stein's um expelled you can go watch this. And so I started looking into it. I watched it and I looked into it and it's ridiculously riddled. He even, he even edited people's responses. Um, so the responses don't match the actual question. It's, you can, you can just, like I said, go, go read the website. And, um, I think scientific American even did a, a spot on that. That's where I got some of the research from, uh, what Ben Stein did to promote, um, 
you know, uh, creation of that. He just he flat out dishonestly edited things. Um, he even told Richard Dawkins that it was a, a whole different movie, and then he used all his clips and put it in a, in a movie called Expel. No God allowed. So I mean, it's, I don't know if that answers your question, but it was, there's a lot to it. It's a jumping point. Yeah, it so, sounds like there yeah, is a lot yeah. to it, and no, I do appreciate. Yeah. I do appreciate you. And I was going to tell you, um, for whatever reason, it there's a pretty good lag on it. It seems like it's coming from your end. Uh, the video, anytime I put the video on you, it, it for whatever reason, it, it really just kind of starts to uh, get kind of splotchy there with the audio. And there's kind of a lag between um, your, your lips moving and the, and the sound coming out. Um, but I'll, we'll keep an eye on it. If it gets too bad, uh, we can cut the stream and go to a part two and try to start over at some point. Um, okay. but if not, I will right, just keep rolling with it. So let's get into it guys. Here's what it's going to look like for the debate. We're going to do a 20 minute opening statement each. I'll, I'll go first with the positive. Then, uh, Randy will go next. We'll do rebuttals. Uh, the rebuttal can be either a straight up rebuttal. Uh, it can be a combination of cross-examination, open dialogue, any combo you want for 10 minutes each. Then we're going to move to a subcategory of your, which would be each person's choice to get more specific on the cosmological argument. And uh, then we'll do 10-minute rebuttals and cross-examination, open dialogue, those things. So um, here's, here's, then we'll do closing statements and then go to questions with uh, each of you in the audience. We've already got a few coming in online on some of the different uh, platforms that you're watching from. But let me sum it up this way. It'll be my intro, 20 minutes, his for 20, rebuttal, my, uh, his rebuttal for 10 minutes, my rebuttal for 10 minutes, uh, um, my subcategory response for 10 minutes, his subcategory response 10 minutes, his rebuttal 10 minutes, my rebuttal 10 minutes, closing statements each 7 to 10 minutes, and uh, go from there to questions. So, now what's the goal of this tonight for me? Why, why is this important to do this? I, I believe that it, I, there's, there's two different methods for apologetics from a Christian. One is what we would call presuppositional, the other is not presuppositional. Um, to me, if you're going about it from the presuppositional standpoint, which is not what I'm doing tonight, um, it, it, it would start with this verse in my mind, if you were, which I'm not. But it says, Isaiah 118 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, through, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Um, to me, I, I, I think that God is concerned with region. I th not region. Um, he's concerned with reason. And, and reason is established in logic, and I think there's a lot of a lot of the faculties of the abstract that we can use. Um, that there's absolutely some laws uh, within logic and reason that are designed by God. I think to bring us to the evidence to make a choice um, at the end of the day, um, whether or not you believe in God that He exists as, as the starting point. I think that the starting point has to be, does God exist? So that's the question that we're trying to answer tonight. Um, we'll get into that a little bit further as we go. So, it's positively the goal to establish a sufficient and reasonable conclusion uh, through through uh, the the use of both reason and logic to deduce from the inductive method that there is a first cause to the universe. Without rejecting sufficient reason itself, I would conclude it is reasonable to believe that God does exist. My opponent, Randy, he's going to have to attempt to conclude that God does not exist by the same sufficient reason. It'll be your job as the audience to decide whether or not um, I have given you sufficient reason to, to make the choice, does God exist? Or has Randy given you a sufficient reason to, to deduce that God does not exist? Okay, 
So once I've established the inductions, uh, that's when I'm actually going to deduce from the first that the first cause is the personal God of Christianity, which proposes the answer that man is actually looking for in order to find God and salvation through the person, Jesus Christ. So keep in job, it is my, uh, the job of the, um, my opponent to address the Kalam cosmological argument itself in the first three points alone and to disprove any one of those uh, two premises that lead to the conclusion um, if he attempts to do that by disproving any of the, the deductions or the applications that I've made from those premises, then he's forfeited his opportunity to actually address the claims that the Kalam actually addresses itself. So my job, I'm going to defend the Kalam. I plan to do that. Uh, but keep in mind, it's, it's not my intention of this model by, through the model alone and the inductions to pr prove that God exists. That's not what the model is designed to do. But what I do plan on doing and what I, I will do is uh, deduce from that model that it is reasonable to conclude God does exist. So if all, all three of, of my points stand at the end, then technically I would win the debate. If any one of the three points falls, uh, then Randy would win the debate. So by the way, I did want to tell you guys this. I posted some different stuff about this particular argument about whether or not God exists in multiple different Facebook groups. I was surprised to find out that so many people just absolutely, they didn't know what it was. They didn't even, they didn't know what the Kalam cosmological argument was. Um, and there's no fault of anybody for that, but I did find it interesting that the majority of the people who didn't know what it was were Christians, and the majority of people who did know what it was uh, seemed to be atheists. So, um, for whatever that's worth, I, I think that it's interesting to, to understand that. But for those of you who are watching and listening, the cosmological argument in its simplest form, it takes the position that the universe had a beginning with a focus that the inf infinite regression is impossible and therefore the, the universe had a beginning and a cause for that beginning. So we'll narrow it down as we get into it. Now on that note, we do want to open it up to questions. I'm going to give you one more reminder. Um, go in right now to anchor.fm and search for Talking Christianity. You're going to find a link there for leaving a voice message. If you leave me a voice message at the end of this debate, I'll play that message, and uh, that'll be the first priority for those of you who want to get a question answered. Uh, do that right now, and uh, we'll be able to get into it. So, all right. Uh, before I get into my opening statement, I'm going to play a quick little video for you, and it's going to. This will be more for you visual learners about what uh, this argument exactly is. Let me let me switch the camera over here. Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin? 
or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy. And that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, predicted that the universe is expanding. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe, so it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models failed to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth and Alexander Vilenkin, prove that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past, but must have an absolute beginning. Okay, so I'm going to leave it there. That basically gives you a good introduction for what the Kalam cosmological argument is is in its essence. And with that said, let me put up on the screen for you all a little timer. Should have 20 minutes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, give me just a second here. Okay. Sweet, so you should be able to see that. That'll be 20 minutes for me. And uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get going into it. So again, the definition for the Kalam cosmolo cosmological argument goes like this. Premise one would be, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Premise two would be, the universe began to exist. The conclusion would be, therefore the universe has a cause. The argument appears to be deceptively simple, but as scholars have debated its terms and premise over the years, they've quickly given rise to much larger questions about cosmology, physics, mathematics, and the philosophy of time. Here's what Richard Dawkins, a prominent atheist, had to say about the argument. Dawkins said it like this, even if we allow the dubious luxury of arbitrarily conjuring up a terminator to an infinite regress and giving it a name, there's absolutely no reason to endow that terminator with any of the properties normally ascribed to God. Omnipotence, omniscience, goodness, creativity of design. To say nothing of such human attributes as listening to prayers, forgiving sins, and reading innermost thoughts. Dr. William Lane Craig responded to it thusly. He says, Apart from the opening slur, this is an amazing concessionary statement. Dawkins doesn't dispute that the argument successfully proves the existence of an uncaused, beginningless, changeless, timeless, spaceless, and unimaginably powerful personal creator of the universe. He merely complains that this cause hasn't also been shown to be omnipotent, omniscient, good, creative in design, listening to prayers, forgiving sins, and reading innermost thoughts. 
to this I say, so what? The argument isn't intended to prove those things. It would be a bizarre form of atheism, indeed an atheism not worth the name, which admitted that there exists an uncaused, beginningless, changeless, timeless, immaterial, spaceless, unimaginably powerful, personal creator of the universe who may, for all we know, also possess the properties listed by Dawkins. So we needn't call the personal creator of the universe God if Dawkins doesn't find this helpful or if he finds it misleading. But the point remains that such a being as described by this argument must exist. Many critics dismiss the Kalam argument for failing to do what it never attempts to do, conclusively prove the existence of the God of Christianity. In fact, the conclusion simply ends with a cause, whatever that is. However, once the conclusion is accepted, you can begin deducing certain qualities about the cause of the universe. For example, since the universe contains all matter and time, the cause of the universe, which must transcend the universe, uh, since nothing can cause itself, must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, unimaginably powerful, and personal, meaning not made of or from any created material, but transcending it either in the abstract sense or in an unembodied mind. Because the abstract sense, of course, is not able to do anything, such as an example would be the number seven, many would take the position that this abstract would have to be the unembodied mind as the personal creator, which is deduced as the God of Christianity. Therefore, of course, it doesn't fully describe the God of Christianity. However, it does describe a pretty big slice of him, a slice that is far too large for most atheists. It, in fact, I've, I've yet to meet an atheist who believes in a transcendent, spaceless, timeless, and immaterial cause of the universe and has even failed miserably to give any constructive alternative explanations for the causality of material from either nothing or eternity itself. And the best answer I get is, we don't know and neither do you. So I'm looking forward to Randy's take on this. Maybe he's going to say that we're in the Matrix or that it's just the flying spaghetti monster and that'll be the answer and we can all just pack up and go home. That'll be it. Um, but honestly, I expect a lot more. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing his explanation. First, I've got to say that uh, logic, logic is, is um, something that we have to discuss, which is going to be the method of reasoning which we use and how we apply it to both the premise and the deductions from those premises. There's many aspects of logic that attempt to deduce God as a logical explanation for creation. Now, logical truths in themselves, they did not come into existence because God created them, and God did not create using what already Pre, and already pre-existing logical truths. Rather, creation makes sense because God is the ultimate standard of logical truth. The following are some examples of properties of logic that point to the need for this ultimate standard, which is God. While faith is required, it is more logical to believe God exists than to believe no God exists. To claim God is not real in a universal negative uh, preposition. The person taking this claim is negating God's existence in reality, the reality being our universe. This person requires complete knowledge of God and complete knowledge of reality, which would be the entire universe, in order to make a claim that God is not real. To claim God is real is a universal affirmative position. The person making this claim is affirming God's existence in reality, which again is the universe. To make a universal affirmative propositional claim, normally requires complete knowledge of the subject, which would be God, and only partial knowledge of the predicate, which would be reality of the universe. However, if knowledge can be conveyed from one knowledge, from one knowledge holder uh, to another, which it can, 
And the Christian's position is that the Bible was given to man by a divine being who is God himself. Complete knowledge of God would not be needed by man, but only by God himself. Now, on the other hand, while an equally divine source would be required about the universe to truly negate the, exist the existence of God, none exists. So the statement is based on man's limited knowledge. Thus, that makes the statement, God is not real, false. When one makes the statement, God is not real, he or she is an essentially claiming to have an unattainable divine knowledge, thus making him or her divine, God. Therefore, we're going to use logic. Randy must either be able to claim himself as God, who is all-knowing, or to have been imparted this knowledge by some other entity who is God himself um, or equal to God. So <laughs> the reason I structured it that way and, and put it that way is it should make this argument a little more fun uh, than the mundane arguments that you typically hear here. Now, the four fundamentals lo fundamental laws of logic. One would be the law of non-contradiction. So something cannot be itself and not itself at the same time. This would be saying something like, what can God not do? Well, God cannot create something that is non-logical. So God cannot create something that is itself and is not itself at the same time. The law of excluded middle, a statement is either true or false. So saying a statement is either true or false is either a true or a false statement. I is either A or it is not A. Cannot be both A and B and not A and B. The law of identity, it, something is what it is. All right. The law of logical or rational inference, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Um, that's exactly what we're drawing from the premise. Um, all things, um, what was the premise? Let me, let me state it again. Premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to ex exist. Premise one is A, premise two is B. Uh, the conclusion is C. So A equals B, B equals C, therefore A equals C. That's exactly what we're claiming tonight. Randy's job is to debunk that. Okay, now here's here's um, really what we were talking about in induction versus uh, deduction. Here we're going to explain how we draw the deduction of a personal God as the initial cause. There's three tests for truth. It would be logical consistency, empirical adequacy, and existential relevance. A worldview that denies God's existence fails all three. Here's why. Uh, a deductive argument is, is an argument that is intended by the argue, arguer to be deductively valid. So what that's simply saying, for those of you who are getting bored with this, it's simply saying that we're going to draw conclusions from um, what, what we've made in the premise. And uh, we're not drawing them into the premise. So here's how it works. I want to explain uh, this diagram. I'm, I'm going to pull it up here so that you can see it, and then I want to talk about it for just a moment. Okay, so here's what the argument is, and we're going to break it down um, with some answers according to each premise. If something began to exist, there must also exist a cause. This is, this is, this is the, one of the logical truths that we were talking about just a moment ago. If you answer no, then scientifically, there is nothing known to man in the universe that has no cause, including the universe itself. Therefore, the answer is yes. The universe, which be is the collection of beings in space and time, actually began to exist. So yes, therefore, there must exist a cause for the universe to exist. If no, the answer to the second premise, if there doesn't need to be, um, if, if the universe doesn't need a cause to exist, well, we, we see that the universe is slowly running out of energy, and thus it's not self-sufficient. So therefore, yes, the universe has a cause. The thing that caused the universe to exist cannot exist within the universe or be bound by space and time, um, which would be the conclusion. So 
If you answer no to the conclusion, well, we've got the law of cause and effect. The, the law of cause and effect simply states that for every effect, you've got a cause, which means there is no effect that comes into being without a, a pre-existing cause. Now, when we apply that to the universe, we're, you're either saying that the universe has always existed and, and it didn't have a cause, or you're looking to, sci uh, to science um, with the Big Bang al alongside the metaphysics of what we're talking about with logic, and uh, you can deduce from that that the universe actually did have a beginning. Uh, we talked about that from what we saw with um, um, the universe slowly running out of energy and not being self-sufficient. Uh, you can see that with, with the, the evidence from the Hubble uh, telescope and seeing that the universe is actually expansive. If it's expansive, it had to have come from either a, a, sing a singularity or a terminator or a t equals zero, a time and place where there was nothing. And uh, that's going to come down to how we define nothing. Um, but it, Or you've got a, another chain of events of, of infinite universes or chain universes or uh, baby universes with mother universes, but at the end of the day, any scenario that you come up with, whether it's fluctuations or not, it still comes down to that point of singularity, um, whether it's an actual infinity or it's, it's an infinity by principle. So we may be able to break that down as we get into it further, um, but at the end of the day, what we're saying is for the universe to exist, which is to, to be the effect um, of something that had to have had a cause, so therefore we are inferring that God is the only being that is capable of transcending both space and time because in order for space and time and matter and all these things to come into being, there had to be something to start it that is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all those things that we listed before. Now let me switch the camera back to me and we should be able to sum it up here. here here's the God that I'm talking about. He's got innumerable, uh, innumerable attributes and for simplicity's sake, um, we limit some of those to the characteristics necessary to deduce God as the first cause, which is timeless, time came into existence. He's immaterial, Im uh, because material had a beginning. He's personal, which would be the unembodied mind that is neither matter uh, nor placed within time, um, nor is, uh, is limited to the beginning of the universe because he transcends it. He's all good and he is a loving God. But he's not bound to the physical. He's invisible or he's visible. He's full of glory and beauty. He's three in one, constituting a trinity. This is how and why it's so important for a Christian uh, to argue for the cosmological argument from a triune God perspective. It gets you to um, the first cause, and as a Christian, we've got to deduce that this first cause is the God of Christianity. So, the relation of Scripture to this argument. In Genesis 1-1, I want to read this. Genesis 1-1 gets all of the elements... Um, that we're actually talking about here. We're talking about time, space, matter, energy. Uh, in order to have a transcendent God, you've got to have someone who's able to transcend or pre-exist what was actually created. We know that time started in the, in the beginning when T equaled zero. At the beginning, if you want to call it the Big Bang, um, time started. Uh, we know that matter had a beginning. We know that space had a beginning. We know all of these things actually had a beginning. Therefore, they had to have a, a cause. The Bible gives you the answer to that in the, in the very first verse to start the Bible. It's starting out with God. And it's starting out with God as the cause. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, how does that answer the question that we're trying to find an answer to? Well, in the beginning. The beginning is, is going to be time. Uh, you see God. You see the cause. 
See, God is the beginning of time, and he created. So he's He's not only the beginning as the first cause, but he's also the creator. Well, what is he the creator of? He's the creator of heaven and earth. So now you've got time, space, matter, energy. You've got all of these things. And uh, it, it goes into more of an explanation about what happened after that, and you get even more of an explanation in Job chapter 38. But this tells us in the very first verse of the Bible, and I think it's so amazing that as we're talking about the cosmological argument, and I doubt that Randy thinks it's that amazing, um, or most atheists think that it's that amazing, but from a Christian perspective, this is why I was saying, man, this only strengthens my faith to see uh, that the Bible supports what 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 science is is beginning to discover. Like, God started it out in the very first verse, like, well, gosh, guys, like you look up in, in at the stars at night when you're you're out on out on the lake and all the lights are off and 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 just looking up and you see just millions and millions and millions of stars and galaxies and all of these things just from the naked eye and you're like, where did this all come from? How did this get here? And to me, starting in the very first verse, you see time, space, matter, energy, and a first cause with an explanation of what those things were and how they came into existence and, and what science is actually affirming uh, with an expansive universe, with a big bang, with with um, with uh, energy and uh, through the law of entropy as being depleted rather than um, infinite. You see all of these, all of these things that, that back this up, but um, 2 Timothy 1.9 and, and Titus 1.2 speak of time having a beginning. We, we know this because God spoke it into existence as the first person of the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1.1, 1, 1, which we just read. Hebrews chapter 1.2 tells us that Jesus formed it as the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God incarnate, being pre-existent prior to being brought forth to the to tabernacle among men, which is most commonly known for by non-Christians in the gospel accounts of his life. We see that from 2 Timothy 3.16. In Genesis 2.1, now we see the Holy Spirit breathe life into it as the third person of the Holy Trinity. So you've um, right off the bat, guys, as a Christian, we've got to be able to draw um, the triune God into uh, the, the cosmological argument. If we, if we just bring it to, well, there's a first cause and we think that first cause could be um, a, deist, a, a deity or a theist, I, I think we've got to take it a step further and, and, and deduct from the induction um, that it is the God of Christianity and really draw it together. I want to point this out to you, to, to those of you who are watching, that there's only four major, well, three major religions in the world who have ever claimed the cosmological argument um, as, as, as a proof for their God, and it's all the Abrahamic religions. It's, it's Muslims, it's Judaism, and it's Christianity, and then the fourth group would, would be deists. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's very interesting to see that the only religion and the the only religions in the entire world um, all claim that it is uh, through one God. And and if you're watching this as an atheist, you, you may not know, um, but but you it should be a little more clear now that Christians believe in a triune God. It it it's the person of the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I just I just read to you how scripture tells you what happened on the creation event. God the Father spoke it, Jesus Christ formed it, and the Holy Spirit breathed life into it according to our scriptures. And it matches up with what science is discovering just in the last thirty years to hundred years. And Job 38 gives you a lot more description about how God himself describes the process of creation, that is, what this creation event looked like in a timeline of, of things. 
Um, then you see in science the laws of thermodynamics, entropy, cosmic radiation, metaphysics, Hubble's discovery of, of an expansive universe. But what we deduced from what explains, uh, from what we explained at the very beginning, I'd like to to kind of close it out and wrap it up with this, guys. Um, what we stated at the very beginning is this: um, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And uh, what what we are gathering from this is the deduction leads to. Um, what we've discovered through the, the Hubble ta uh, telescopes, seeing that we do have an expansive universe. Uh, what we've seen through cosmic radiation, that there is entropy. Um, there was definitely a bang at the beginning that is now um, losing energy and one day will deplete. Uh, but we also see that um, there is absolutely a singular point in time when time, space, and matter all came into being at one point. So... Um, I think that's that's what we're looking for. I think at the end of the day, it is reasonable um, to believe that God exists from the cosmological argument, and, and we can deduce, and this is up for debate, um, but, uh, but what I'm deducing as, as a Christian is that this first cause is, in fact, God, the God of Christianity. And um, um, I think that that would kind of sum it up, but let me just say, guys, uh, to close my opening statement, I think that it's reasonable to conclude that God does exist. So, Randy, I'm going to turn it over to you. Let me put 20 minutes on the clock. Give me just a second here. And whenever you're ready, have at it. All right, let me know if I, if I cut out. I'm in a conference room with the door shut. I'm wondering if my Wi-Fi is like fluctuating. I could always like crack the door or open the door. So if I start to glitch out, let me know. I will do. So far, so good, man. All right. Um, so I, I have um, just three quick arguments. I probably won't take a long time, but um, I think while while one of the things is is fresh in um, in our mind from your last argument, so. It, um, I know part of your argument was that we would eventually run out of energy. So if something began, something's going to end. There's energy entropy, and I and I actually had to look this up myself um, a few days ago. But um, so matter and energy is um, actually the heat death doesn't mean that there will be any less energy than today. It simply means that the energy is all disorganized, which is entropy. Entropy means disorganized, not in a useful form, and it cannot be used to do anything useful. It won't deplete, it'll disorganize. So, and we, we'll probably get into this later on in the discussion, but um, that, that's when things are created, it's just a rearrangement of material, whether it's a table, a baby, um, a sculpture, it's everything in our reality is is in a uh, creation, like a beginning, it's a rearrangement of, of atoms. So we can talk about that later, but um, I just, before that was fresh in my, in my mind, I, I took a, I made a couple quick notes about um, entropy because there's a common misconception about entropy that means like it just means that heat and energy will just dissipate to nothing, and that, that's not true. It actually just means it's, it's actually like um, spread out and like not usable. Um, and one of the things that should, that should be pointed out is the the first law of thermodynamics, a version of the law of conservation of energy in physics and chemistry. The law of conservation of energy states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed; rather, it can only be trans 
transformed in, or transferred from one form to another. So energy has always been there. It'll always be there. It can never be uh, created or destroyed. It just, it just rearranges and it transfers. So that, that, that's very interesting. Um, when you talk about like an eternal universe or something, um, a concept that we can't understand in our, in our finite brain, something always has a beginning and an end. My first grade had a beginning and, a, and an end. Um, you know, my, my grandmother's life had a beginning and an end. So in our, we always think of things like that, but it's, I believe it's beyond that, but I'll, I digress. I'll get on to your, um, to my, my objections to the clown. So that, so my first argument is the Klam actually cannot be an argument for existence of God. The Klam cannot be an argument for existence of God since you cannot have an argument for something that does not contain the thing you're arguing in the premise or the conclusion. The argument does not include the word God at all. And I actually have an example. So premise one, this is a, a quick syllogism. Premise one, every human or every existing human has parents. Randy is an existing human. Conclusion, Randy has parents. Now that's valid and it's sound. It's a valid argument, a sound argument. I'll, I'll quickly go through those. Valid argument means structures. Um, it has premise, premise, cause. There's nothing contradictory. It, it, it follows. Soundness means that all are true. So premise one, every human has parents. Randy is an existing human. It's premise two, Randy has parents. Now, if I, that's a, that's a uh, valid argument, and I would even say it's a sound argument. However, if I presented that as a syllogism, as an argument for why Josh is my father, I would be wrong. It doesn't apply. Josh doesn't appear in there at all, and he's not included in the argument whatsoever, it's, and we have empirical data actually to prove that he's not my father. Um, so while the, the Kalam is actually a valid in structure, it's not a sound argument. Um, so that's, that's one thing I wanted to mention. A argument for something has to include something in, in one of the premise or the conclusion. Um, my second argument is, what do we know about the cause? So let's say I granted both premise, that both premises were valid and sound. Uh, everything that begins to exist as a cause, the universe began to exist. So let's say I just granted those for sake of argument. So I'll just move on to, to my second argument. Um, so if I grant both conclusions, what do I actually know about the cause? Um, the next question would be, um, what, what, could the, what could the cause possibly be? How does, how does one determine agency for the cause? The only reason someone like William Lane Craig proposes agency is to exploit our intuitions as people, to exploit the argument from incredulity. Everything we know it has a, something behind it. Um, the clown tells us nothing about the nature of the cause. Is it an agent? Is it an entity? Um, is it something completely natural? You actually have to add to the clown to get to a god. And the, the consensus of modern physics is to reject the premises of the Kalam. If you look at all major physicists, starting with Sean Carroll and all the conferences, he even talks about this. I listened to a debate of his weeks ago. Um, in any of their conferences, any of the modern physicists, physicists don't even mention God in any of their in any of their meetings, their conferences, their, their uh, papers. You'll never see a paper, a formal scientific journal, uh, a paper submitted. So um, it's... It's, to me, it's a very big stretch to um, to include the Kalam or to include God in the It tells us at the very least or at the very most about a cause and say what that cause is. You kind of have to smuggle in God to, to use the Kalam as an argument for God. Um, so then 
people um, will ask, well, what are the what are the possibilities then of our universe? How did our universe, if it, if it wasn't, if it didn't begin, if the Big Bang isn't? So one of the possible, um, it's possible that our local universe didn't begin to exist the Big Bang, but rather became a temporal, became temporal and spatial, as in a temporal universe becoming, as an atemporal universe becoming temporal, which is an event, not a thing beginning to exist, which would not be subject to Kalam's first premise. And then my third argument would be things that do not exist cannot be a cause of other things that actually exist. And, and I can use a, um, and, and I'm not being condescending, what I mean by is things that do not exist cannot be the cause of other things. You actually have to prove the prior before you can use it for the formal. So if something doesn't exist, it can't be the cause of something else. And I, I have an analogy. I don't know if you, you guys have probably heard of sirens, not the things that are on police cars, but the mythological creatures that would try to entice sailors. Um, in Greek, they actually were thought they were real back then. Uh, now to us, it's mythology. But if we said for all the planes that go down in the ocean, those are all results of sirens. So these mythological creatures are are summoning their between you know by their songs and their their looks and their beauty. They're summoning the pilots, and the pilots are crashing into the ocean. So every every plane crash that crashed in the ocean was because of a siren. Now you'd have to prove before you can make that a a valid or a sound argument, you'd have, to, you'd have to prove, you can make it a valid or structured argument, but you, to make it a sound argument, you'd have to prove the premise. You'd have to prove that sirens are actually real before they can actually be a, a cause of planes crashing before you can even get to step one. So something that doesn't exist cannot be the cause of something else. So that has to be proven first. You have to prove the thing exists before. It's kind of like putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. Um, and that's really all I have. Those are my three arguments. The um, the Kalam cannot be an argument for existence of God because it doesn't doesn't use God in the argument. It, at the very most, you can you can uh, deduce if you grant the first two premises, you can deduce that the that the universe had a cause. It doesn't tell you anything about what the cause is. Um, it doesn't tell you what we know about the cause. And thirdly. Some, something has to be proven. A guy would have to be a deity would have to be proven to exist before it can be a cause for anything. That's what I have for round one. Hopefully, it didn't, Sweet. It didn't cut out or anything. Uh, it wasn't bad. It did cut out a few times, but um, not too bad. So, um, you have the opportunity if you would like to. Um, either you can do a ten minute rebuttal, or I can do a ten minute rebuttal. I had you down first, but. Um, now that I'm looking at it, it might make sense for me to do my rebuttal first. So you just let me know yeah. how you want to do it. Yeah, let's do it that way. Cause I, I think my, my, um, argument was kind of a, a rebuttal, like a hybrid rebuttal argument. Yeah. So, okay, I'll go first. I'll just leave the timer up there. It says about 11 minutes. I'm not going to go that long. So we'll just, we'll just jump into it. Now, here's what I'd like to point out. I want to remind everyone what the premise was and uh, what exactly it was that I'm arguing, okay? The first premise is whatever begins to exist has a cause. The second premise is the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, Randy just told us he has three main points. One, the Klom is it cannot be used as an argument for God um, because God is not included in the argument at all. I agree with him. I actually said that in my opening statement that the Klom is not designed to get you to God. It's designed to get you to a first cause. 
In fact, God isn't even mentioned in premise one. He's not mentioned in premise two, and he's not even mentioned in the conclusion. Uh, the, the whole point that I'm arguing from and the whole reason why I was saying that we as Christians need to and should use the Kalam cosmological argument is one, because it, 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 it negates the necessity of, um, by actuality, of an infinite universe, which I'm simply saying the Kalam is designed to refute an infinite universe. Oh, I've still got the camera on you for some reason. But it's designed to uh, refute an infinite universe, which is is the whole the whole point of premise one, premise two, and the conclusion saying that it, it had a beginning because it had a cause. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe had a cause. Therefore, um, the universe has got a first cause. So what I'm saying is God isn't mentioned in any of that. We're deducing from that. That's the induction. We're deducing as Christians that something has to be a first cause that transcends all of that. And it can't be an infinite universe. Well, why can't it be an infinite universe? Um, there's so many reasons why it can't be an infinite universe. One um, is what we were talking about with the Hubble te Space Telescope shows us that there's an expansive universe which brings it back to a point of singularity. Now, what cosmologists would tell you is we don't know what happened up to the point of t equals zero to the negative, uh, what is it, 43, 43rd second or whatever. So right up to the point of the beginning, we don't know what happened up before the first 4,300 seconds of that beginning. Um, and what we're looking for is that answer. That's what the cosmological argument that we're talking about here tonight is designed to um, deduce. We're, we're trying to reason out what that first cause is. And what I think is so incredible is Randy never once said that there isn't a first cause. Randy never once negated the first premise. He didn't negate the second premise, and he didn't negate the... All he said was, you can't get God out of this. And I agree with him. What I, the whole point of this whole argument is to, is to show you that we're deducing through reason that this first cause is real, that most atheists would agree that there is a first cause, and including Krauss. He just says, hey, we can't call that thing God. In fact, I don't want it to be God. It ain't God. And uh, that's obviously a summary. Um, but then you've got Dawkins, we quoted earlier, um, who who actually assumes that that uh, that the argument itself is sound and and just says well it can't be the god of Christianity because these are some of the characteristics that we don't see so you can't see it um, and and then you've got other guys um, like Carol you've got other guys uh, there's just so many examples of people who would who concede the fact that the argument is sound but we just now we're arguing whether or not it's God so what I'm arguing is. We've got to use reason to get to the point to say there is a first cause. Okay, if we can admit there is a first cause and the universe is not infinite, then we've got to speculate from the evidence that we do have uh, whether or not um, that first cause is, is sufficient enough to say that God exists. That's the whole point of my argument tonight. We're supposed to look at the evidence that we've got and say that um, something transcendent to what we've got exists, which brings me to my next point. Um, in order to, to, for, for matter and time and space to all come into existence, you have to have a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, unimaginably powerful uh, personal being who was around before time and space and matter and all of that began, who transcends those things, who can actually bring it into existence. Now, why do we say that it, it can't be infinite? We say that it can't be infinite because there's a difference, according to Aristotle, 
about the difference between an actual infinite and a uh, an infinite in principle. And the mathematician Hilbert actually, um, he's a 20th, 20th century mathematician who came up with what um, what is now commonly known as Hilbert's Hotel. He says that an actual infinite cannot exist, but it can exist in principle. Now, how do we illustrate this so that you can understand it? Well, Hilbert's Hotel says, well, imagine a hotel that has an infinite number of rooms. Every single one of these rooms is already full, and you have an infinite number of rooms that are empty. So you have an infinite number of rooms that are full, you have an infinite number of rooms that are empty, and somebody wants to come and fill uh, one of these infinitely full rooms. So you've got something that is empty coming to fill something that is already full. So what do you do? You take the person who's in the second room and you, you move them to room number three, and so on. You move person in room number three to room number four. And in, in principle, you can do that. You can move everybody up one notch, but it's still sequential. So if it is an actual infinite, it has to be circular, which means it's not something that can actually be reproduced in reality. You cannot fill an infinite with an empty, and you cannot sequentially order something that, from an infinite at a beginning. So in reality, zero doesn't exist in an actual infinite. So what I'm saying is you can't go zero, one, two, three, here's year one, two, three, here's moment one, two, three, and the expansion of the universe, um, which Randy is trying to illustrate to us through um, his, his description of the Big Bang and entropy and all these other things. Um, but, but to kind of summarize what I'm saying here is in principle, it's, you, can, you can do it, you can do it in the abstract, but in reality, an actual infinite does not exist, and I don't. There's only one cosmologist who has ever actually even tried to put it on paper, and he actually even says, "Yeah, it's it's impossible in reality." So nobody even adopts an infinite um, universe as something that's even practically possible. So what what that means is we have to have had an actual beginning, which brings us back to the first two premises and the conclusion: the universe began to exist. All things that begin to exist have a, um, a cause, therefore the universe has a cause. Now, why can we? Why, why is this not an actual argument? Uh, why is this not a fallacy of what, uh, what did you call it? You called it um, the argument of in incredulity. Um, one, it, it can't be the argument of incredulity because we're not claiming uh, that God is in this argument at all. We're deducing that God is the cause of the argument, that, that God is the cause as of the, the first effect. So, in essence, that, that's not a real argument, it's, it's fallacious, that argument itself should be tossed out, um, and it, it's not even something that needs to be taken seriously. Um, and and the, other, the last point that you had is something uh, doesn't exist. If, if something doesn't exist, it can't be the cause of something else, therefore God cannot be the first cause of what came into existence. Um, in the first place. So really here what you've got is, was it the chicken or the egg? And uh, how, do, how does the chicken produce the egg if there, if, if, if there weren't? You know what I'm saying. So at the end of the day, guys, what it, what it means, and that's the whole point of the deduction that we're making, is you have to have someone who transcends everything that we know today, time, space, matter, energy, all of these things. And the best argument that we've got is to deduce that God is the answer there. If, 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 if what we know today from the laws of thermodynamics, the, the, that there is a first cause, for every effect there is a cause, then we know that those things had to begin somewhere with something. I'm telling you that the best argument that we have for that 
is not a God of the gaps argument because of what we don't know, but for what we do know. We do know that everything has a cause. We do know that everything had a beginning and that something that exists cannot bring itself into existence. Therefore, something had to pre-exist before that that is infinite, that is omnipotent, that's all-powerful, that's all-knowing, that... Um, that transcends all that we know, time, space, matter, energy, all of these things. And the answer to that is God. Therefore, it is reasonable to believe that God exists. Now, Randy, I'm going to turn it over to you, get the clock back up to 10 minutes. I believe I addressed all three points that you made. And uh, that'll give you a chance now to address my initial intro and then my rebuttal if you would like. So time's on the board. You got it, man. All right, cool. Um, so to, just to um, address some of your, I, I took some quick notes. So our local presentation of our of the universe may have had a beginning, it may or may not. And I'm going to actually touch on something that came out in the scientific journal in 2017. But um, so you have solar system, galaxy, universe, and then you have like the cosmos basically. And so our local presentation, what we can see of our, of our local universe may or may not have a beginning, that there's not a consensus that it had a beginning there, um, that's to be determined. We're still investigating that. And by, by we, I mean physicists and cosmologists. So there's, it's not a foregone conclusion that our local presentation of the universe had a beginning or, or the universe as a whole had a beginning. Our local, our local presentation, which was basically may or may not have been birthed by the Big Bang, that may have had a beginning. Um, but that's not speaking of the cosmos as a whole. Now, um, and we only have our current local models to work with. We can't see what's beyond our universe. Um, you know, we can't see the entire cosmos. And the, the latest model is that the cosmos is approximately 250 times the size of our local presentation of the universe. So we have no idea. Um, so our reality is local. Um, and the argument from incredulity is I can't imagine how P could be true, therefore P must be false. So I can't imagine how X could be true, so X must be false. So thinking that something must have a cause, I can't imagine anything without a cause or anything eternal or anything that's reorganized, recycled constantly. I, I can't think of that. So that, that's actually the argument from incredulity. If you, just because you can't imagine something doesn't mean it's not true. That's called the divine fallacy or the argument from incredulity fallacy. Um, so that, that's, that's basically what that, what that means there. Um, but I, I wanted to point out, so regarding our local presentation of the universe, our local uh, corner of the universe, whatever you want to call it. So there's, I think Sean Carroll mentioned when, in a debate I was listening to weeks ago, there's 17 current hypotheses, and some will graduate on the theories, some will not, obviously, uh, based on, on the models, and if they can falsify the models and whatnot. But there's a multiverse hypothesis, there's a simulation hypothesis, there's a bouncing cosmology hypothesis. So those are some of the leading ones right now. And I, I want to read a quick excerpt. Um, a Brazilian physicist, um, Juliano Neves, argues that the original singularity, aka Big Bang, may never have existed. He's a proponent of the bouncing cosmology hypothesis. And the bouncing cosmology basically is that, and it's expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting. So when you see our current universe expanding, that's just it's in flux. It's in it's in the middle of an expansion of of an infinite amount of, of uh, expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting. Um, he says the Big Bang as initial singularity is only a speculation. There is no empirical evidence for, uh, for bouncing cosmologies as of today, but there's also no evidence for initial singularity, Big Bang. 
either. The cosmic, the cosmic microwave background radiation, which is thought to be the heat left over from the Big Bang event, can be observed in every direction and has no single origin point. So they, they can't figure out where it was. So his theory is that it's, it's the elastic expanding bouncing. And he's, um, he published this paper in 2017 in the, in the Journal of General Relatively, of General Relatively and Gravitation. He's a researcher in, at the Mathematics, Statistics, and Scientific um, Computation Institute at the University of Brazil. So it's, he, he, this article is published in space.com. So well, all that to say is to address that um, the very first premise that um, everything that begins to exist has a cause. And what's interesting about that is um, the original version, so this, so the Kalam was, was put forth by Muslim in the 11th century. Um, and the first premise, and then William Lane Craig in the late 70s, 1970s kind of re resuscitated it. And he said that um, initially the first premise of the Kalam was actually changed. It says everything has a cause. And then when people point out, well, so then God has a cause, they actually quickly revised it to everything that begins to exist has a cause. So they, they had, had to kind of tweak it a little bit, but that's to point out that we there's no sufficient evidence that everything that begins to exist has a cause or that it doesn't have a cause. We simply don't know. And what I mentioned earlier is the time to believe something is when there's sufficient evidence to believe it, not a minute before. So we don't know that everything be, that begins to exist has a cause. The first law of thermodynamics says that, not, that energy is um, neither created or destroyed. It, rather, it's only transformed and transferred. So um, our local presentation seems to have space-time where time is linear, but beyond our local presentation of where we are, we, we don't know what's beyond that. I, I'm sure people have seen the movie Interstellar, have seen the movie Arrival. They, they posit different, when you, when you go into different galaxies, or different, there's different time presentations. Um, the movie Arrival has a different concept. It, obviously it's science, but it has a concept of time being circular. So time is like a basically either a figure eight or a big circle. It's not linear like in our local presentation. In, in our reality, right here currently, time is linear, where it may actually be infinite. It may uh, be like the first law of thermodynamics where it's never created or destroyed. It's it's um, it's uh, you know it doesn't have a beginning or an end. It just transforms and transposes. So I just I think those are the things I wanted to address in my rebuttal. And that, that's to say, like I said, that, that we can't grant everything that begins to exist has a cause. That may, that may or may not be true for our local presentation. And the universe began to exist. Again, that may or may not be true. The jury is still out on that. There's people publishing papers against Einstein and against other, other people right now. Um, quantum string theory, quantum mechanics in that. Some um, contradicts some of, of what Einstein put forth in general relativity and their trying to kind of iron those out so they work together, but, you know, it's still in, in its infancy. So string theory, uh, quantum mechanics is very, we're in its infant stage right now, so we don't know. So speculate that, yes, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. That's, we're kind of stepping beyond what we know. So that's, that's only, the only point I wanted to make there. Sweet. Um, so it looks like from here, we have got our subcategory responses. No, that was the subcategory response. So I've got a 10-minute rebuttal. You've got a 10-minute rebuttal. There's This will be our last rebuttal. Then we'll go to closing statements and then open up to questions. So 
Um, I've got, let me put 10 minutes on the board. This will be my time to rebut. And I might ask you a few questions if I've got time at the end of the 10 minutes and then go from there. So let me put the camera back on me and we'll get rolling here. Switch over to my notes. Remember, um, I do want to point out one more time. Here's what the premise was. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but I, I want to keep it in your mind. Premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, what we just heard Randy point out was um, the first point that he says, he says our universe may or may not have had a beginning. Notice that Randy is not refuting that the universe had a cause. He says in all probability we see that the universe did have a cause. Uh, there are some discussions that cosmologists and scientists are having today uh, that, that may refuted at some point. But as of right now, we have to believe that the universe did have a first cause if we accept the Big Bang. He's, he, I think that the, the biggest problem Randy is going to have is, is actually refuting the Big Bang itself because the Big Bang is the most universally accepted model uh, in contrast to any model that he's trying to present. The reason for that is there is no other model other than the Big, Big Bang that actually is more current than the Big Bang itself. So if, if, if we're going to present something that's, that's supposed to negate what we know right now, uh, according to what the Big Bang tells us, the universe had a, had a beginning um, and there was a cause for it, um, then, then it, it, it's really kind of begging the question. I mean, it's like, hey, we, you know, guys are talking about this, so you shouldn't accept the Big Bang. That's not, I, that's not how, that's not how this, this operates. Now, one thing that he did point out uh, once again, which I'd, I touched on, was the argument from incredulity. And uh, the reason why is because we're inserting God into premise one, premise two, or the conclusion. And again, I'm, I'm saying that's not the case. Uh, we have not inserted God into the Kalam cosmological argument at all. What we've done, rather, is deduce that God is the best answer to what the first cause is. And so far, Randy agrees with me that uh, for all the information that we do have, there is an original singularity. Now, what you've speculated on, which is a second point, that we do see expansion and we may see contraction of the universe. Now, what, what, what you didn't mention was that, was that this does not get rid of the problem, even if you adopt uh, the infinite universe or the infinite mother universe or you, you adopt string theory or you, or you adopt chain uh, reactions. All of these things are still events which would fall into the category that I was talking about earlier um, with an actual infinite. Keep in mind, this, if you're looking at an, an event or, or, or a, a, um, uh, not a part, a group, what am I trying to say? If you're looking at an event um, or a part, it has to have an actual um, sequential order. So if, if you've got an actual sequential order, you cannot have an actual infinite at the same time. These two things are non-sequiturs. They, they work against each other. So it's, not, it's, only, it's, it's only workable in the abstract. That's why they haven't created a model that actually works. So as, as far as we know right now, um, everything that we know that does exist had a beginning. Um, Randy says, well, that's not true. There's some things that we don't know exist that doesn't have a beginning. To me... This is probably the most incredible argument that we've heard all night um, because what that actually means is you cannot know that you yourself actually exist. Now, if we want to talk about an argument of incredulity, um, I mean, that's got to be it, man. I mean, it's, it, am I sitting here having a conversation with you? I think that I am. Uh, but, you know, we could be in the matrix. So, I don't know. In a way, um, that's just, that's, that's kind of funny to kind of imagine there. I mean, do we really exist? I think that we do. Um, and, and, and I think that we can prove that, but 
Now, what I'm saying is it doesn't get rid of the argument, even if you want to say the universe is expanding and contracting or there are multiple universes. You did say we don't have any evidence of any universe other than our own, so I'm, actually, I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, so it's still an argument of the abstract. But what I'm saying is, hear me now, what we do know, everything that comes into existence has a cause. The universe came into existence, therefore it has a cause. It is the best argument that we have based off of the evidence that we have. And even Randy is supporting this evidence and saying, this is what we have. Um, they're having other conversations. The best, the best reasonable answer that we can come to is that there is a first cause, and this first cause transcends everything that came into existence at the singular point, the terminator, t equals zero, um, whatever you want to call it, the beginning. Um, the beginning is what I'll call it. The beginning is what the Bible calls it. At the beginning, in the beginning, it was God, and God created it all. Now, you did mention a guy um, who um, was building a model um, that would refute the Big Bang Theory. And uh, But what I would say is, until he actually does create um, a workable model uh, that is as is, is widely embraced um, through cosmologists and scientists as the Big Bang Theory is now, in order for us to toss out the Big Bang, um, then, then, then I think that up until then, this guy has got a Nobel Peace Prize. He's got not a Nobel Peace Prize. He's got a Nobel Prize waiting for him, and uh, it, he just needs to get to work on that thing. So until then, I still think that um, we've got sufficient evidence to to come to the reasonable conclusion from reasonable men. Um, that only need reasonable evidence to come to a conclusion that er everything that we do know of in this universe has come from um, a cause because it has a beginning, and therefore we have to come to the conclusion that God does exist. Uh, what I would say, your last point, is there's no sufficient evidence that everything that begins to exist has a cause. Again, everything that we know, everything we know has a beginning. I'd like to hear more about that. Um, I, I think the best argument, you didn't mention this, but I think the best argument for that would be a cosmic vacuum. Um, but even the definition of nothing within a cosmic vacuum still doesn't give an answer for the particles that come out of it. Um, that, that'd be like saying, you know, uh, we randomly would worry about it, uh, you know, a horse coming into your living room out of nowhere. It just doesn't happen. Nothing comes from nothing. Um, and, and by that, same definition, a cosmic vacuum isn't actually made of nothing, and it's not even the absence of anything. It's literally, you can't see what it is, and you can't see what it's producing, so it's it's still an abstract of what a cosmic vacuum is. But it, it doesn't answer the question um, of, of, of any of the alternatives that you've presented, um, the answer to infinite regression. And an actual in, in an actual model, every cosmologist supports the fact that you cannot produce... Um, and uh, an infinite in principle, it doesn't exist. You cannot produce. What what I meant to say is, you cannot produce an actual infinite in reality. You can only produce an infinite in principle, which means it's it it doesn't compute with reality. So I think I've addressed all your points so far. Um, we do know the universe had a beginning. It is it is a foregone conclusion until it's refuted that the universe had a beginning. What we're speculating on is not if there was a first cause, but what we are speculating on is what was that first cause, and I still believe Christianity provides the best answer for that. So, Randy, I do want to ask you a couple of questions. 
since I've got two and a half minutes left. Um, the first question that I've got actually, um, nobody sent in any, any of those voicemails. I'd love to get a voicemail from someone just because I'd like to use that sometime. But um, here's one question that I would like to ask you. Uh, and it's it's kind of a, a softball question that I'll get into one that's a little more tough. Do you believe that theists are delusional as Dawkins, Hicken, Hick, Hitchens, and Carol and Krauss espouse? Do you believe that Christians are delusional for b believing in a God who transcends the universe that caused the universe to come into existence? No, de definitely not. I mean, that's like I said, I was on the other side, so that'd be condescending for me to say that that they're delusional, um, or there's, you know, there's something wrong, or they're, it's, to me, it's, it's, goes back to indoctrination, um, that's, that's a lot of it, I was indoctrinated from, from birth, um, my current situation, other people are convinced later on, they, they're convinced of, of the proposition, um, for different reasons, I, we can get into their standards of evidence, and that's, that's what I learned later on, is standards of, of evidence are huge. Um, the standards of evidence I had for religion were a lot lower than I had for everything else, else for health, for for um, finances, for you know big decisions and that. So, but definitely, I would say delusional. I would say um, that you know they have they have a belief system that they they feel is, is warranted, and everyone has different ones. Like I said, there's indoctrination. There's um, some. It could be a life crisis. It could be a uh, someone facing their own mortality. Be um, a low standard of evidence. You know, there's so many different reasons, and people are at so many different places in their life. So, no, I wouldn't say they're delusional. Okay, um, I've got 40 seconds left. I'm going to toss you up two different options and see which one you would take. Which do you think is more plausible? The the the, the Big Bang, which obviously is going to point back to a, a singularity, or at least a t equals zero, or an infinite universe. Which do you adopt? The infinite universe, the local presentation may or may not um, have, have, have had a singularity, but the an infinite universe, infinite cosmos, for sure. Sweet. All right, man, you've got 10 minutes. Let me put it on the clock, and I'll turn it over to you for your final rebuttal, and then we'll go to closing statements and go to questions from the audience. Whenever yep. you're ready. All right, and if, I, won't, I probably won't use all the whole 10 minutes, but... um. So again, the Big Bang is our current model. In 50, 70 years, it will, it will more than likely change. So to, I, you know, I, I wouldn't put things in one basket. I wouldn't put everything. In. And again, the Big Bang is, it addresses our, our, our local universe. It, it, a local universe could have been started by a multiverse. It, a multiverse could have pinched off a, um, our current universe and our, this universe making birth to another universe. I mean, it's, it's, it's all speculation right now. Um, this, you know, the Big Bang was a local event. Again, it, it wasn't something that that we can see that that was uh, in the cosmos. It was a our local universe. Um, and um, I actually have a question for you. I'll leave that for the end, but the end of my uh, questioning. But um, so again, the Big Bang is is the best argument currently. But so was the geocentric model um, before Coper Copernicus. And Darwin actually addressed that. He used that as a jumping off point for when people didn't believe him about evolution, when he proposed evolution in the late 1800s. He, um, he actually makes reference to that in his book that um, he says, you know, people thought Copernicus was crazy. Copernicus was actually jailed by the church because he proposed a uh, heliocentric model where 
the earth was not the center and people thought he was crazy. I mean, how intuitive was it? You wake up in the morning, you see the sun, the sun's clearly moving, shadows are clearly moving. And he proposed, he says, you know what? I don't think, I think we are not the center. I don't believe the sun is going around us. And they thought he was crazy. They actually imprisoned him. Um, so just as that was out, as outlandish, you know, a, a quantum vacuum, dark matter, a bouncing universe, a multiverse simulation hypothesis. And 50 years from now, that you'll we'll have new models and that science keeps getting better at getting better. We're constantly going forward. We're, we're, we're fine tuning our, our, our uh, theories, our hypothesis. We're looking for consilience. Consilience is when you have multiple lines of science that all converge on a strong fact, like germ theory of disease, like gravitational theory, like evolutionary theory. Um, so we're, science is constantly working toward consilience, multiple lines, multiple branches of science. So um, right now there's not consilience with, with the Big Bang. And um, like I said before, um, uh, just uh, quoting uh, Neves from, from Brazil, he said the Big Bang is, as its initial singularity, is only a speculation. So even the Big Bang is, is a speculation. Um, there's no empirical evidence for a Big Bang. Um, they can't get that close to see where a Big Bang would have started. Um, like I said, it could easily have been a contraction and an expanding model. So um, it's, it's definitely not a foregone conclusion. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't base my life on that. I wouldn't base anything on that. Something that's that's being investigated currently. You never want to put all your eggs in one basket on something that's being investigated or it's the current model. What if you were to put? What if there were uniform some religion all around the sun being going around the earth? You'd have been dead wrong. You know, as soon as we get better telescopes as soon as we're able to get outside of our, of our world to see, to confirm. So that's, you never want to, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket or bet anything with your life or your lifestyle or your livelihood on, on a current model of something that's not a foregone conclusion. But I did, I did have a question. I, 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 you said you alluded to the fact, well, something, something, and well, do we really exist? I, I you lost me there. I wasn't sure what you meant by that. Oh, I see. Let me get back to that note here. Um, you were talking about you said there's no sufficient evidence that everything that begins to exist has a cause so what I'm what I'm drawing from that is if there is no sufficient evidence to prove or to show that everything that does exist has a cause then then what that means is you don't even know if if you exist yourself why because you don't even know if you're here. Why? Well, you know that you exist because you had a cause, which means you had parents. You you came from your parents. You know that you had a cause. Your parents had a cause. Your their parents had a cause. Their parents had a cause. So it's an infinite regression back to a singular point. So what I'm saying is, you have to uh, take the position that at least you know that you exist because you had a cause. Um, that's my only point that I was making there. Okay, I, I got it now. Okay, so. Uh, Aristotle actually had a helpful way of thinking about causes. He said there was four different aspects of, of uh, the creation of something. There was efficient cause, material yeah. cause, formal cause, and final cause. Um, an efficient cause is the action or entity that is responsible for bringing something into existence. Think of a sculptor and chiseling, material cause, previous existing material, something that's created out of wood, marble, etc. Um, formal cause is the form or shape, and the final cause is the purpose. Um, my existence, um, my parents were 
he and rearranging the atoms into me, but that material existed before me, perhaps eternally. Um, a table, it, it's a nice table, there's lacquer, there's nails, there's wood, but that material existed possibly etern eternally before that. The carpenters put that together. The, the atoms grew in a tree, and, and the carpenter cut the tree down, and he assembled that. My parents uh, basically donated their DNA and formed me, but those atoms existed. So that to say that was a cause, it, it's not really a cause, it's a rearrangement. They caused the atoms to be rearranged, if that's what you mean by cause. But those atoms were pre-existing. That energy, the atoms, the molecular structure was pre-existing. So I think that's that's a point of of uh, contention. I think it, we have to think about it a different way. We with with cause, there's like I said, the first law of thermodynamics. There's energy. There's there's matter. It, it's never destroyed or created. It's rearranged. It's recomposed. So yeah, my my parents didn't necessarily cause me. They they caused the rearrangement. I guess you can go that far, maybe. No, I hear you. Um, I still think so. I, this isn't a, a slam against you. I promise you, it's not. Uh, but I was actually um, William Lane Craig did a YouTube, He did a video that was literally called the ten worst arguments against the Klum cosmological argument. This was one of them, and, and his reasoning uh, against this is simply saying, like, if you really believe that that you pre-existed the effect of your cause, which is essentially what you're saying, the atoms that produced you came from somewhere, it was just a rearrangement of the atoms that already existed, then what that actually means is you were in a pre-existent eternal state. So what William Lane Craig asks, and I think it's a pretty valid question, is uh, where would you have actually been in, in uh, the, the, the Jurassic period? I mean, where were you? If you if you actually pre-existed your own existence and, and as, as atoms that were just rearranged to make who you are now, um, it, and that's the position that you're taking as opposed to you don't know that you actually exist, I, I would ask you, where were you? But uh, obviously it's your time to ask. I'm, that's yeah. kind of rhetorical. Well, like um, the famous Lawrence Krauss, um, I think it was a lecture, not a debate, but he said... And, and actually, Star Wars actually used this. Years later, they actually used this um, in the one Star Wars story. I don't think it was one of the episodes, but it was on this. Uh, they, the one guy calls his daughter Stardust. We're all Stardust. Right, right. And, he, you know, and, and Lawrence Krauss says um, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things he can think of, that the atoms in your left arm probably came from a, a, a different star than the atoms from your right arm. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like the, the most beautiful thing a non-believer could think of that that it's very poetic. I even see tattoos that we we're, we're, you know, people are so moved by that. But it, it's that has more evidence that I would argue than, than any any theological stance. Um, the atoms from my left arm are possibly from a different star explosion. The star, a star, even he plays. He gets a little snarky. Um, he he plays on words. He says he says, "Forget Jesus. Stars died to give you life," and that's that's um you know obviously people take offense to that. I can see why, but um. um a star exploded. It went supernova to form the 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 molecules in my left arm, and another star may have exploded to form the molecules and atoms in my right arm. So in the Jurassic era, who knows? I was energy. I was you know whatever it was uh, molecules. And I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I, I'm sure I'm sure you could do research and see um, where humans. I mean, dust to dust, we're going to decompose if, if we if it weren't for clothes and caskets, metal caskets, and and, and, and cement graves and all that. We will literally decompose into the ground 
and into soil and, and, you know, worm food and all that stuff. So I would imagine Jurassic period, we were part of the earth. I mean, it's, and then, you know, uh, our ancestors ingested that water and ate that food. So imagine being part, just, I'll, I'll make this as quickly as possible, I promise. And I'm being that serious. Uh, imagine um, a, I don't know, a deer eating grass of molecules and drinking water out of a river. Your ancestor kills that deer, cooks it over a fire, ingests that deer, has intimate relations with, 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 his, with his wife, and they have offspring, they have offspring, and it leads to Josh eventually. So where were you? You were in the water, in the grass, and all those molecules and the atoms went into the deer that your great-great-grandfather killed with, an, with a spear, you know, seven thousand years ago and whatever and um, through his through ingesting that and, and passing his DNA onto his wife and then seven thousand years later it was Josh you know it's if you you can investigate that it's it's, it's plausible I, I guess I don't I don't find it as funny what Craig is trying to get at like or what or I don't know what the point he's trying to make but I, it's completely plausible that you were atoms in the earth that was it were ingested by an animal that were grown through a plant just by an animal and then adjusted by a human, and then the human passed their your, their atoms, their DNA onto you in 2000 or whenever you were born. So now I hear you. Uh, we've got okay. So that was that's our debate. We're we're gonna come to our our concluding our our <laughs> what is it? It's the closing argument. It's been a long day. We're gonna come to our closing arguments here, and uh, then we're gonna open up questions to the audience. I'm gonna try to keep this to five minutes each. I know that we put in there seven to ten minutes. Uh, but let's try to keep it as short as possible. Um, let me, I'm going to, I go first and then I promised I'd give you the last word. So you'll get to do the final conclusion, have the last word, and then we'll go to, go to questions. But all right. So here's what I would say to sum up everything that we've talked about. We, we've had two premises and we've had one conclusion. Neither one of the premises have, have even been, uh, even been attempted to have, go, have been gone after by Randy. Uh, you don't even have the conclusion that has been gone after by Randy. Rather, instead, what you've had is uh, you've had plausible ar- alternatives um, to what the conclusion of this argument is, and uh, you've had uh, you've had refuting arguments against the deductions that we've made from this argument that God has to be that first cause. Um, but it still doesn't negate the fact um, that I've addressed every single one of his points. Um, you cannot have an actual infinite regression of a universe. It's not possible. No cosmologist actually takes this seriously. Every single cosmologist, including Carroll, including Krauss, including even philosophers, uh, philosophical atheists like Dawkins, none of these guys take it as a serious argument. Um, the best alternative that they can come from is what you heard as the final alternative, which is pantheism, that we are all each other. And what are the, one of the greatest things that we can imagine is that we came from stardust. Well, I think that I can do one even better. Um, what I'm saying is even better than that is the alternative that has not even been refuted tonight that not only was there a first cause, but the probability of this first cause is actually the, the first mover. He's the creator of, of the universe. He's the one who was described that I read from in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He is God. He's the God that we're arguing actually exists, and he's the God who created you personally, not from stardust, but from your 
from what we call the human genome and genetics that I think leads to an even greater debate that maybe we can have at some point, uh, which would be the fine-tuning debate. I mean, we, we talk about all these things that are in existence, and we're talking about where it came from tonight. I think that it's extremely reasonable to conclude that God does exist, and he's the God of Christianity, who is a personal God who transcends time, space, um, time, space, energy, and matter. He, he transcends all of those things, and by necessity, he has to, um, just to, to conclude and deduce, not from um, building him into uh, either one of our first two premises, which we did not do, or into our conclusion, which we did not do, uh, but actually deducing that the best alternative, the best reasonable thought experiment that you can have as to why and where does all of this exist and why, where did it come from to say that there was a first cause and the Bible gives you an answer for who this first cause is and what he said he did. Now, it, it, one of the greatest thought experiments that you can actually do at home is if there is in fact a God and he wanted to communicate to me, how would he do it? Well, the, the way that he's done it in so many different ways, uh, but one of the primary ways is, he, is he's actually written you a book. And in his book, he's told you exactly um, how this whole thing came into, a, in, <laughs> into existence. And out of all the things that science is doing, I, all we can tell is that it's catching up. All the alternative theories that we've heard tonight, um, Randy doesn't even espouse to him. He just says, hey, this could we don't know where we're going to be in 20 years. We don't know where we're at now. We, and, and what I'm saying is even the argument that Randy used for an efficient cause, which came from Aristotle, that efficient cause is one of the greatest arguments that Randy himself should accept and believe that God does exist because you do not get a chair. You do not get a human baby without a first cause. And I'm saying right now that the first cause of the universe came from a mind of an infinite, all-powerful, um, spaceless, timeless, immaterial personal God who loves you and died for you. That star did not want to have a relationship with you as was espoused earlier. The greatest thing that has ever happened in the humanity of mankind, the history of the humanity of mankind, is that God came and became a man and suffered and lived and died so that you don't have to, so that he can have a relationship with you because he loves you and wants to get to know you. He wants to get to know you. That sounds so cheesy, but it's true, guys. I mean, seriously, like, out of all the gods that we can imagine, out of all the gods that are purported and, uh, and espoused to and proposed by other religions, there's only one religion who says that that God actually came down to earth and became a man and lived and died and rose again, and that's the God of Christianity, and it's the same God who espouses that he created all of this. That's why it's reasonable to conclude that the premise one is true and has not been refuted by Randy tonight. Premise two is true and has not been re refuted by Randy tonight, and the conclusion is true and has not been refuted by Randy tonight. Therefore, if you are reasonable and you're going off of just what has been refuted and what has been concluded tonight, it is reasonable to conclude that God exists. Randy, I'm going to turn it over to you, and you'll have five minutes for your closing statement, and we'll go from there. Okay, thank you. Um, and again, just to, to reiterate, I'll make it quick. Um, premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Um, it, it may be true in our, in our local in, uh, presentation. It, it does not mean there's not sufficient evidence. It doesn't mean that it's true everywhere. Um, 
and again, we have we have forces and laws of, of thermodynamics that say that things are not not created or destroyed, that that they're just rearranged. So um, something something that begins to exist has to be created ex nihilo out of nothing, and we have no example of anything being created out of nothing um, or beginning to exist out of nothing. And I think that's a major point. Um, you have you have two possibilities. You have something created out of material, something created out of nothing. We have no example that things exist um, that begin to exist out of nothing, and that that's what the um, basically the the cosmological argument is is, is opposing is um, proposing that something came out of nothing. Um, everything that begins to exist in our experience, in our reality, in our local presentation, has come out of material. Um, so, um, one thing I, I wanted to, to bring up was um, creation ex nihilo, which is creation out of nothing. It's Latin for creation out of nothing. It's pure, it's pure speculation. It's, it's not something we ever had an experience with or of. Anything that we've ever seen caused to begin existing has come out of pre previously existing material. Um, a table, a baby, a chair, a, sculpt, a sculpture out of marble. Um, so that's, that's something that's very important. Um, anything that we've ever seen to be caused to exist has come out of something else. Nothing has ever come, come out of nothing. Um, you can't cause something that does not exist to do anything, let alone start existing. Um, so everything that we've seen has a material ca uh, cause. It's, it's great. It's Latin is creatio ex materia. That means creation out of material. It's a rearrangement of material. Um, so that's, that's very important. So it's, it's not speculation. That's exactly what we see. We see a rearrangement of material. Uh, anything that's caused is, is caused to be rearranged. It's not caused to come out of something out of nothing. Um, even the Big Bang Theory talks about um, basically energy and something starting and then, then expanding. Um, and, I, and I proposed other op optional um, competing um, hypothesis currently. Um, that have just just lack just amount of they lack the same amount of evidence that the Big Bang theory lacks. There's no empirical evidence for Big Bang. There's no empirical evidence for multiverse, for simulation theory, for um, the the bouncing cosmos theory. Um, so that's 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 basically uh, how I, I would sum it up. Is um, you know everything that begins to exist has a cause that has to be demonstrated. Um, and it has to be demonstrated not only that it has a cause, but it has something that's not a material cause. It has something that's not a rearrangement of material, pre-existing material. Um, and like I said, even Big Bang had had material in it that that it either exploded or expanded according to the theory. So it, it did not begin to exist out of nothing, which was what the cosmological argument and Christianity basically uh, presupposes that it began to exist out of nothing. God spoke into existence. Um, it it Everything in our experience in our local presentation is is something that has a cause, has a material cause. So I would I would leave it at that. Sweet. So um, I I think there was some new material introduced there, but that's neither here nor there. I'm going to put both of us up on the camera and see if we can get to some of the questions. For those of you who are still viewing live, I'm going to give you the first opportunity. It, I, it doesn't look like I had anybody um, do the message thing. If you did. Type it in the comments because for whatever reason, I don't. I, maybe I just don't have anybody using the voice message uh, feature yet. Hopefully that's going to catch on at some point. But here we've got the first question. This is going to be from Matt Chisholm. He says, 
how does he overcome the impossible of an infinite regress? So I, I would guess that that is going to be addressed to you. Randy, how would you overcome the impossibility of an infinite regress? Um, so that, that's basically saying that we could never get to today if, if something was infinitely, or no, that, that's the other, that's what the eternal theory, if something is eternal, then we can never get to today. Um, infinite regress is what caused the cause, the cause, the cause kind of thing, if we keep going back and back. Um, and that obviously would apply to a deity too. If, if a deity created us or caused us, what caused a deity, you know, deity just appeared one day out of, out of thin air. Um, so it's something we don't know. Um, I know that our, like I said, our local presentation is temporal. Um, what's beyond that? What happened? If it's something that's cyclical, it's cylindrical, it's, um, like I said, it's expanding, contracting. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I know our, our, um, you know, you can only speak to what we, we can only speak authoritatively or, or intelligently to what we, we can observe here locally. So I'll try to... Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm really answering that. I'm trying to think that addresses a, a, a regress. I, I just don't, I don't think, so I get, a better way, with knowing, knowing what we know now about vacuums, black holes, um, things like that, I don't know that we can say there's like the infinite regress would apply to something outside of our local time and space. It's, it's all pure speculation at that point. So what that's I would say, way. yeah, go ahead. I'll say that's probably a better way to, to address the actual question. I see. Um, so the way that I would answer that is to start with premise one. Premise one says anything that began to exist had a cause. So um, we as Christians do not believe that God actually began to exist. He's, he's from eternity. Uh, so it, it wouldn't be a contradiction to the first premise. In fact, um, the whole deduction from premise one, premise two, and the conclusion is is that in order for anything that exists to come into existence, it had to have a cause, and because it had a beginning, that cause would be transcendent to uh, the actual material that it is. So when we look at events, we look at parts, we know that there it is an actual impossibility from all mathematicians and cosmologists who actually... Um, outside of theory and abstract thought, admit the fact that an actual infinite is impossible, which is what Matt is addressing at, at, through an infinite regress. It's impossible. It, it does not exist. Even if the universe, even if there are multiple universes, even if there is a mother universe, even if there are baby universes, even if there's fluctuation, even if there's black holes, even if there's, uh, even if there's cosmic um, um, vacuums, it, it doesn't matter. You've still got the beginning. You still have to account for the material universe that we see here. The material universe that we see is space, time, matter, and energy. Uh, there has to be a being that is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and all-powerful. And it just so happens to seem that the answer to bringing all of these things into existence is the God that Christianity worships. And I think that's the reason why it's the best alternative to what Randy has presented here tonight. But... Um, let's see here. Rationalism. Uh, well, let me see. We've got a. So John Nansen. I'm not sure if this is this is that relevant to what we're talking about, but you can take a stab at it if you want to. He says, "Why is there memory, and what is memory, especially if there's no point for it?" You do your best with that one. I'm going to go to some other questions that we had before that, and uh, should get a little better from there. 
Yeah, so that, that, that's the question, is there a purpose to life kind of thing? And I, I've dealt with that before in conversations. Um, what's the point? Of my, and I, I, I would argue that that's the point, one of the points of life. Um, since a, a non-believer does not believe in, in, a, in a afterlife, that that's how we live on in this world. We live on the memories of our loved ones. We live on, we live on with the, the, um, the things the, that we did with them, the events that we did with them, the times we loved them, the times we spent with them. Um, so that's that's a that's actually a, a wonderful um, aspect of our life is memory. Um, my grandmother who died, my grandfather who died. All I have left is, is a memory, is maybe some photos here and there, but I have the memories of the times I spent with them. So I, th I think that's that's a huge part of our existence is our memories. That's how we live on. I, I don't believe in afterlife, um, so living on people's memories is is how I, I'll live on. Um, so I'll answer that very briefly. I, I obviously, now I'm going to answer from a presuppositional position as a Christian, uh, which simply means I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible tells you that man is uh, made in the image of God. Uh, God is a tripartite being. He's, a, he's a, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means that man was made with a body, soul, and spirit. You've got three parts to you. When you die, your body's going to go on the ground. Uh, your soul is either going to go to heaven or hell, and your spirit is, uh, is going to return to God the Father. Um, we, we know that from various uh, different verses and, and passages throughout Scripture. Um, but the Christian believes that you are an eternal being um, from the point that you're created. You're not pre-existently eternal, um, which is what is, is espoused through stardust theory. Um, and, and Christianity rejects that. We, we do believe that God um, transcends the reality that we, we know today. And the greatest, uh, the greatest act of love any man has ever known is, is the God who created everything that we know to actually become a man and uh, to pay the penalty for the own uh, for the uh, for the transgression against the laws that God made himself so he actually sacrificed himself as a payment uh, against and for the the own laws um, that that God actually made himself so I think it's 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 the greatest act of love man can ever know is is that the the God the creator of the universe actually came and died and for you personally, every single individual, and that he rose again, and, and that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely um, one of the greatest proofs of Christianity. If, it, if, if Jesus didn't rise, rise from the dead, then Christianity, you believe in vain. And that's what it comes down to. That, that would be a whole other debate in, in and of itself. But let me ask you this. Uh, we'll, we'll see how long you want to go. But I, I know that you, you said that you would, you would reject the Big Bang and, and accept an infinite universe. It, or do you accept the Big Bang but account for the Big Bang within an infinite universe? And then that'll lead me to my second, the second part of the question. Yeah, the latter. So the Big Bang was was in our local presentation of our universe. That the Big Bang. Right, right, right. Okay. No scientist is saying the Big Bang created the cosmos. It's saying the Big Bang created our local universe here. Right. Okay. We can, we, we can observe. So even even with that model, um, you you would say that there was an expansion, there was an explosion, um, wh which is called the singularity. The question is this, what made the singularity expand and explode into the Big Bang? What would you say that was? Um, it, w it, was, it would have been an event, so it, it could have been uh, a, in the multiverse hypothesis, it could have been another universe pinching off, Basically, um, in the bouncing cosmology hypothesis, it's actually it wasn't really a bang. 
Um, it was uh, as far back as we can go to the, the uh, tight contraction. And it's expanding, and it's going to come back. And who knows, thousands of years, it'll come back. So that bouncing cosmology is that instead of a bang, it was it was a tight, it was at the contracted state, and it's now expanding. And we have evidence that it, obviously it's expanding. Um, so yeah, that's um, and it's and, I, and I, when I quoted that uh, Juliano Neves from the Brazilian Institute, that's what he's saying. He said that. Um, um, that the original singularity may never have existed. So here's what my response would be to that. Um, I would I would say this. I would say that there absolutely was a singularity. The singularity itself, no matter if, if there's infinite universes, even, even though we know they're not actual, even if there are other universes that hypothetically made this one that caused a big bang, you, you would call it fluctuation, you would call it expansion, whatever term you're trying to use, there's still a singularity for the beginning of this known universe. We know that. We're calling it the big bang. Lovely, um, yes. So for the known universe that we've got, the singularity point is when the laws of physics would have actually been brought into existence. They did not pre-exist this universe before that singularity. Now, the reason why the multiple universe theory is impossible in actuality is for this point right there. You cannot transverse even a single particle across from one plane of a universe to another without destabilizing the universe that would come into existence. What that is saying is you wouldn't, you wouldn't exist here today because it would be so destabilized that you would have chaos theory. Chaos would ensue. Um, every particle would have no... Par you, wouldn't, you would have no stardust. It would, it would just be absolute chaos but but what it's saying is it goes even further it says um it's it's literally in the name the singularity it's ignoring the entire thing that is the hypothesis based on a theater theoretical re, uh, regression um, of known expansion data into a singularity in the first place so what's known of of said theoretical entity and the expansion of the universe is this either it's the only entity in the in the the known universe with a funda fundamental property of immediate and almost unimaginable expansion actuation upon existence or the said sin singularity must have been acted upon by an entity outside of itself so again i would conclude once again um, that even if you are adopting the the theory that randy is proposing here with um with transversing a universe or a fluctuation of a universe you still have a point of singularity that the laws of physics are, are now introduced into the universe that we know today which brought in at point time point zero uh, time, space, matter, energy, all of those things that exist to create what we have um, where chaos did not ensue. Um, so that would have to leave either one of two conclusions. It, it, it happened by accident against all odds um, that is even more of a miraculous event than a first cause uh, because something actually would have come from nothing um, or you had a first cause and I'm calling it God. So um, I still think that even if even if you adopt that position that God exists, and he's, he's the most reasonable explanation for it. So, Now, I've asked three questions to you. I want to give you a chance to ask a question. I don't see anybody who's asked any questions for me. So, um, in, in, it's, it's funny because I even put questions in, in an atheist, which I don't know. I guess they did ask questions, but I just... Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it wasn't, wasn't, so wasn't there chaos initially? I mean, that's when, the, when you have a bang, an explosion, so to speak... Um, wasn't it chaotic? And then uh, I know I've, I've done research on the Higgs boson. Um, so if it wasn't for the Higgs boson field, basically, those um, the, the, 
it's one of the fields in, in, in particle physics, basically, that um, played a huge role in, in stabilizing everything. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, I'm a little confused, because from what I understand, there was chaos in the beginning. Well, why don't you explain what the Higgs boson is? Um, yeah, so it's, it's just look, looking it up, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's elementary particle in the uh, standard model of particle physics produced by quantum uh, excitation, basically, of the Higgs field. Um, trying to get down to the... Um, I, just, I just recall from, from looking into it a while back that it, it, it was called, like, the God particle. Um, it obviously, it was a nickname just to kind of draw, draw an analogy. Uh, but... Uh, I, I don't. I don't recall enough. I looked at it probably a, a year or two ago, but um, from what I understand, there was the Higgs boson played a huge role in, in the formation of, of uh, you know, stabilized particles and what we have today, planets and things in orbit. And had it not been for that, that was like a huge uh, factor in us. Um, you know, but initially with the bang, things were very chaotic, very hot, very you know, and whether it was a whether that happens with compression and expansion, or whether you go with the Big Bang model, that was a chaotic ex expansion, a chaotic explosion. So that's that's why I don't understand. It took billions of years for it to, to kind of like settle down and form, you know, uh, life life inhabiting planets and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's um, that's that's really interesting that it's called the God particle. Um, I think that's really interesting, especially in, in the context of the conversation tonight. Uh, we're literally calling the God particle the thing that brought uh, chaos into order, and yet we don't want to say that God was the cause of that. So um, I think that's that's self-refuting um, from my position and just saying that, yeah, God was the cause. God was the one that brought it into order. And uh, if we're going off the fluctuation theory, there would have been absolute chaos, and without a God particle that we call God, we would still have chaos today. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, they, they, it was obviously a nickname, and uh, and uh, what they're saying is that some physicists are upset about that because obviously the theist jumped on that and said, "Oh, see, you're you're admitting," and they're like, "No, I meant that that was you know." <laughs> I know. I'm just saying so it's, it's ironic. You know, they, so they kind of they kind of piggybacked on it right away. Um, one other one other question I would have is uh. Let's see. Um, so, what, what would convince you that there is that there is currently not enough evidence to warrant belief in, in any DAT? What would be? And I, I have one one request before you answer that. Um, so, basically, what would what would convince you that there's not enough evidence to believe in any DAT, any proposed DAT? And um, well, actually, let me, let me leave it at that. I don't I don't want to poison the well. I don't want to give you because. People often say the one thing that's impossible, and it's, it kind of messes it up. But um, what would be something that would convince you that there's currently not enough evidence, not conclusive evidence, to believe in the, to warrant belief in the deity? Um, I don't know if, the, if I ask that in a way that you can answer that. Yeah, you, you answered it. No, you answered it a different way. That's. I like the way that you structured that. Um, I'll answer it as simply as I can. I, I think that based off of the evidence that we do have, we do have a point of singularity. I think that we do have uh, evidence that points to and, and shows a necessity for a first cause. So what I would have to, to, to see to disbelieve Christianity is to actually meet 
whoever that personal first cause is and, and have him tell me that he wasn't the God of Christianity. So what, but what if that first cause is, isn't an agent? It has to what be. It's a, a natural process. It's not. Because nature, the, the, within the laws of nature, nature does not create itself from nothing. So it'd be ex nihilo, ex nihilo, nihilo ex. Nothing comes from nothing. Right, but the uh, but the uh, creatio ex nihilo means that things were created from nothing. Except so unless you have a transcendent being um, outside of that, which would be the first mover, the first cause, which is exactly what I've been arguing for all night tonight is the need for that. And all the evidence points to that. So if the first cause isn't the God of Christianity, then I would have to meet that first cause personally in this lifetime before I die and him tell me, hey, I'm not the God of Christianity because I believe that he exists and I believe all the evidence points that he is the God of Christianity. Right. So would you consider it a special pleading then? Because so it, it's it's saying that, you know, nothing starts without a cause is, is the, the theist position. No, that wasn't the premise. The premise was anything that begins to exist has a cause. Right. If you if you take the reverse of that, though, everything that begins to exist has a cause. So in other words, nothing that exists that exists does not have a cause. If you're just reversing it or taking the negative. So everything that begins to exist has a cause. Uh, conversely, anything that exists today must have had a cause. It could not have not had a cause. But you're then going to say, except for God. Me that always struck me as, and my, my mom tells me a story that when I was like two, um, no, maybe two was a different story. I think I was maybe four or five years old, and, and I asked like our priest, well, if God made us, who made God? And like, like they both kind of just looked at each other. Um, so since I was like four or five, um, I've asked those, that question, despite the fact being a Christian for, for 20 plus years. Um, so if, if everything that begins to exist has to have a cause, except for God, is that, do you find that fishy at all? No, it's not begging the question, and it's not, what was the, what special was the, pleading? what was that? Special pleading? It's not special pleading because we're not claiming that God had a, had a beginning. The premise itself states that anything that had a beginning has, uh, anything that begins to exist had a cause, and we, we don't even claim that God had a beginning. We, we claim that God is from eternity, which is essentially what you're claiming. You're claiming that the universe is from eternity, so it's either the universe is God or there's an actual personal being who is God, and I'm claiming that it is a personal being, and you're claiming it's not. It's natural. Right, so that actually brings me to a statement I typed out a couple days ago when we were having this. So, um, so God, God, can, God can be eternal but the universe can't be eternal. And which are the two that we have more evidence for, a universe or for a God? So if you're arguing from that premise, you would also have to accept that within that premise that everything within within the universe is natural. So if you're going to accept natural law, the natural law says that nothing comes from nothing. So you still have to account for the fact that um, an actual infinity doesn't exist, which means there's an infinite regress back to a sequential zero, which would be a, an actual starting point in time, a beginning, and there has to be a first mover, a first cause, which brings us back to premise one, premise two, and the conclusion that there is a first cause, and we're calling him God. But you'll, you'll, so you have, you have um, physicists like Kevin Sharp and Sean Carroll that say that the universe could be eternal, as far as we, we know, we, we can't say it, it hasn't, we can't say it has, there's good evidence that the universe has been eternal. 
So my, like my argument is, um, we, when we propose that the universe is eternal, that matter and energy is eternal, um, entropy exists, but that's just, it, it's not a burnout, it's a disorganization. It's a disorganization, and if it's cyclical, it can be reorganized. Um, so if the universe, if, we, if physicists today who dedicate their lives to this propose that the universe may be eternal, um, you're saying no, but a deity could be. But yet we have better evidence for a, a universe, which we can actually explore and, and touch, and, and and we don't have evidence for a deity. That's, you, know, you see what I'm saying that I'm getting at there? Yeah, and um, I still think that either way it comes down to faith on both sides. I mean, you don't have evidence that there is an eternal universe. You don't even have evidence that there is another universe other than the universe that we've got. So either I have faith that there is a first cause of the universe that we do know based off the evidence that we do have, that nothing comes from na nothing based off of the law of nature, based off of the law of thermodynamics, based off of all the things that we can see and examine and uh, weigh out the evidence from what we do know rather than based off of theory. Uh, that there could be, that there we just don't know, but maybe we'll discover it later. Based off of what we do know right now, if I had to make a decision right now and I were to die tonight, I would say, you know what, there, is, there has to be a first cause based off of the evidence that we do have, not based off the evidence that we don't have or the, or the evidence that we hope that we'll have in 20, 30 years. Based off the evidence that we do have, I'm making a conclusion and drawing the conclusion there is a first cause and it has to be something that transcends the natural order, the natural law of what we've got in order for that to even come into existence because everything that we know doesn't appear out of nowhere and it doesn't come from nothing. So that that has to be my answer. So, But what I would say about those guys who have other theories, they've got to put it into a working model and we've got to test it. So that would be that would be my response to what, what they should do. Before right. I accept it, right? When I when I referenced Sean Carroll and Kevin Sharp, the physicists, I what I was getting at was they they come out and said, you know, and they dedicated their life to this. They're professional physicists, physicists, and they said that um, there's a good chance, you know, the, our best models say the universe, the cosmos, is eternal. Our local presentation is is possibly temporal, um, but the cosmos beyond our local presentation, there's there best models are that it's it's eternal energy is eternal mass is eternal or energy and uh um what's the uh why am i drawing a blank here um yeah basically energy so the energy in the cosmos is best we can tell from you know the best physical models we have is that it's eternal and like i said locally it's you know there was a there's a a the leading theory is that it was, it was, there was a start to it. It was finite, but right. So we're, I mean, I think we're kind of arguing in circles here and repeating ourselves. I mean, you're, you've still got an argument for an eternal universe, but I don't believe that those guys have even put it into a model. If, if, if they have, it's, it's gotta have been within the last six months because nobody's made a model of an actual infinite universe that works. Nobody has. Right. So they're saying that you, if you can't prove that the universe is eternal and you can't prove it's not, you know, the, the time to believe it, that something is eternal or whatever is, is when there's evidence for it. So, I mean, the time to believe in God is when there's evidence for it, you know, a deity and that. Um, but I, I see what you're saying. But, but do you see what I'm saying here? I, it, it seems like the argument that you're making for an eternal universe that created the universe that we've got is, is, is begging the question. Um, because I think that what you're looking for is the God that is the explanation of the eternal universe that I'm offering, that I'm saying is the most plausible explanation for the answer that you're hoping someday they're going to find. 
Uh, what I'm but saying is yeah, that's who created the universe that we've got. But I don't see where you get to a who or a what or an agency. Um, there's no evidence that it was anything personal or a, a, there's an agent that did it. Nothing in our experience points to an agent or anything personal. Well, the personal part of it would, would either come down to one of two points. It, it would be an abstract thing, which you know could be a number, and we, we know that numbers do nothing. Um, that would be an abstract thing, uh, which is which is a, a personal attribute, or or it would be a personal attribute of an unembodied mind, an unembodied mind with a will, which we would say is a free will who could do according to he, as as he pleases. Um, if it wasn't a free will, it would be determined, which would mean it had to been determined by something other than itself. And even in polytheism, even even if you were to say that there's multiple singularities or there's multiple deities that could have caused creation, it doesn't even even if you look at um, it, it, religious texts like the Bhagavad Gita or Hinduism, it, any, any of these other religions who espouse polytheism, if you adopt that, it, it, it's what I'm, what I'm trying to do is draw a comparison to uh, other universes. Uh, look at these deities as universes. You're saying that other, this universe came from other universes. I'm saying this universe came from God. Um, or all these universes came from other universes, so there's there's multiple gods, and they create it. And you see what I'm saying? I'm drawing the conclusion there, but what I'm saying is even these other religions espouse that these sub-deities came from a supreme deity, so there is one ultimate deity. Either way, I think that the best evidence, whether you're looking at multiple universes, whether you're looking at multiple deities, whether, whether you're trying to define what this god is and whether he's personal, um, based off of what we know in natural law, in order for there to be a first cause before time, um, he had to transcend all of these things and and bring it into existence out of his own will, uncoerced. So I think that it's still all the evidence that we have points to the God of Christianity. Yeah, I guess I'm just not willing to assign agency or will to, to anything until there's sufficient reason for that. Sweet, man. Well, I've got to say, it's been fun. Dude, Randy, I think this can be a good place to wrap up. It's 11, 20 years probably past midnight where you're at. But anyways, thank you again for coming on. I'm going to cut to my closing scene, but I do want to give you the last word, man. No, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I think we, we covered a ton. And um, uh, I look forward to watching it back and uh, uh, listening to both our arguments. And that I appreciate it. I'm honored to be on here. I do too, man. You're welcome back anytime. Just let me know if you would like to come back on. Uh, if you are watching and uh, you are an atheist, let me know if you're interested in dialoguing with me and uh, we can get you on the show. Um, we can talk over the phone and see, kind of work some things out, what we need to do, um, how we can make it work. Uh, we do have Evan Minton. He's an author, blogger, and podcaster coming on this Saturday. We're going to be talking about this right here, the, co the Kalam Cosmological Argument, and uh, why it's something that we need to take seriously and come to the conclusion that the best evidence, based off of what we do know and what we do have, is a personal, omni omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, um, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, personal God, the God of Christianity. And uh, he gave his life for you and wants to have a relationship with you. Guys, I love you. I hope that's a blessing to you. Contact me if you uh, are interested in, in doing something on the show. Talk to you later.